top ERP systems for 2024, new AI regulations, and a panel discussion among leading ERP vendors. Those are just a few of the topics we're going to cover here today in episode number 147 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 147. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. This is the podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation, including the strategy, people, process, and technology sides of change. Um, Kyler, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, great to have you and great to have the audience here listening as always. Uh, new episodes of this show come out every Wednesday. You can find that at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also subscribe on audio podcast platforms throughout the world, or just go to transformationgroundcontrol.com and I'll give you the links to all the places that you can listen and watch to this podcast or listen and watch, listen to and watch this podcast uh, at that website. I, it, however, cannot teach people like me how to speak without stuttering. So, uh, but you can find the podcast at transformationgroundcontrol.com. Uh, great episode for you today. We're excited for some of this really cool stuff. Very, very relevant here as we come up on the year end of 2023. Uh, we're going to start off our opening segment as we always do with audience questions. So we'll get to those social media questions that have come in uh, our way. And then we'll also get into a couple hot topics, one of which is going to be super interesting, which is new regulations in American companies as it relates to artificial intelligence. So I'd be curious to see not only what that means in the Americas, but also what that means for the rest of the world, potentially, as it relates to AI and the adoption of AI. We'll also talk about uh, USA News's new ranking of top 10 ERP systems for 2023, and we'll uh, do a discussion there to see how it compares to our own ranking of top 10 systems for 2024, uh, which Third Stage Consulting recently uh, launched. And uh, you can find that, by the way, you can find that top 10 list by going to the links in the description field below. Uh, there's a link to download those top 10 systems and uh, our overall digital enterprise operations report for 2024. You can find that in the links below if you'd like to view that. So those are the hot topics we'll cover. And then later we'll have our first guest on the show, Adam Cheatham, who is managing director at Third Stage Consulting. He's going to be on the show with me talking about the top 10 ERP systems for 2024. In fact, we're not just going to talk about the top 10. We're going to just talk about top systems in general for 2024, as well as some of the trends and movement in the top 10 list. And uh, just talk a bit about how different vendors compare to one another. And then later in the show, uh, this is going to be a very cool segment we're going to play for you. It's actually a clip from our recent Digital Stratosphere Conference. And at our Digital Stratosphere Conference, which is a tech agnostic conference we host each year, um, we had a vendor panel discussion, which we had never done before. We had several different software vendors all on the same panel, and we wanted to talk about general tech trends and you know what's happening in the market development-wise, that sort of thing. And uh, we're going to play this clip, and it's going to feature um, executives from Infor, IFS, Epicor, and NetSuite. So, you know, four leading ERP uh, vendors were not affiliated with any of them. So we were able to facilitate and moderate a discussion that was very candid and transparent and unbiased and not 
focus on marketing, sales, spin, all that stuff. So that'll be a good uh, segment, especially as we think about what are some of those leading ERP systems that we should be aware of as we head into the new year. So be sure to stick around for that. That panel discussion will be after we have our first guest on the show. But before we get to all this action-packed stuff we have uh, for today's episode, Kyler, what are some of the, the questions that you're seeing from the audience here this week? Absolutely. Well, some some great questions um, regarding some of our recent content that I kind of want to dive into. So if you if you remember, we kind of talked about the customization versus meeting the technology in a few of our recent episodes. And Eric recently put out some videos on that. So one of our users had a really good question, Eric, that I wanted to bring to you. What is the balance of this user calls it a canned solution, or a lot of times it's referred to an off of the self shelf solution and versus customization? Should it meet the needs of maybe 70% of our business processes, 50%? What does that look like as far as understanding how much we should influence our business processes to meet the technology in order to avoid complexity and high costs? So great question there. Well, I think you and many audience members may already know how I'm going to answer this um, with the two, my two favorite words. Um, it depends. It depends on what industry you're in and what your business is. But I would say that in general, generally speaking, you throw out two numbers, 50 and 70%. Should, should a canned off-the-shelf solution be usable or could you adopt to at least 50 or 70% of the canned off-the-shelf functionality? Um, I'd say those are sort of the minimums. You should shoot for at least 50 or 50 to 70%, maybe even more. Um, and most organizations can. I think it's, you know, even if let's say it's 80%, let's just use that because it's a nice round number. It sort of fits that 80-20 rule. Um, let's say you can get, you should strive for 80% um, use of functionality off the shelf. Some might argue it should be even higher. It should be 90, 95, 100%. I don't think that's realistic because most organizations have enough nuances and unique aspects of their business that they need some level of, customization, or they may just require a third-party bolt-on solution that doesn't fit that core enterprise tech that they're using. And you don't have to choose just one option. You can have multiple systems. It's not ideal necessarily, but you could use multiple systems to manage some of those different functions. But whatever the percentage is, if it's 80%, that last 20% is a big deal. And that's last 20% is where companies get into trouble because they end up struggling with the customization. It introduces a bunch of risk into the project. Um, it creates, uh, it just elongates the project as the budget. And it also, um, a lot of times puts you at odds with your software vendor because oftentimes your software vendor will say, well, just use our software the way it's built. It's best practice. And you as an organization might be saying, well, no, it's not best practice. It doesn't fit what we need as a business to be successful. And so, uh, you have to sort of navigate that and make the business decision that makes the most sense for you. So I'd say if you shoot for 80% plus, that's a starting point. I wouldn't expect, and I wouldn't say getting close to 100% is good because if you shoot for 100%, it's just going to create a bunch of other problems um, as it relates to change management, things of that nature. So I think 80%-ish or more is probably a good expectation and a good target to shoot for. And maybe like reformatting that question to say, why are you changing your business processes? You know, what is the purpose behind that? Is it vendor sales pressure? Is it efficiency for the business? And being able to have that intentional and mindful strategy approach behind it, as opposed to, you know, kind of rush to fit um, a software that might not be the best fit for your business. So that's really, you know, a great question and a, a great point to bring up. Yeah, absolutely. So this question, I think this person is a genius, whoever asked this, and I, I'm super curious as to what you're going to say to this. So this 
talks a lot about um, our content around how to get the most out of your demos, because those can be a huge pain point when it comes to selecting the right software and understanding how the software is going to actually be implemented and activate within your organization. So why why don't software demo, demos um, offer the opportunity to try the system in a private environment or within the business without vendors? This is something that I want my team to be able to try on without any pressures from the vendor sales team. Genius, right? Yeah, it is. It is genius. And it is it is a great question um, that why not? Like, why couldn't you just go play with it or mess around with a sandbox version of the software? Um, I know some vendors, it's very limited, not many do it, but some vendors do offer that. I know, um, for example, Odoo, an open source CRP vendor, they you can actually get a free version of their software. You could actually do that right now and go to their website, get the software without, I think you have to enter your, your contact information. So you will get hounded by a sales rep, but you can do that. You can go enter your contact information and get access to the software and start messing around with it. And you, you actually get a free instance of the software for your own organization. So uh, limited capabilities, limited use, of course, but um, it does give you a chance to mess around with it a bit and play with it in a sandbox environment. Um, it's a good question. I don't know why that's not more common, to be honest. I, I know with the, the old on-prem model, it was really difficult because you would have to have, you know, a sales rep would have had to set up a new instance of the software every, every time someone wanted to try it. And that probably was too cumbersome back in the day for for most organ or for most software vendors. Now, with the advent of cloud and especially SaaS cloud solutions like NetSuites of the world and um, Workday and Salesforce and whatnot, uh, or even S4 HANA on the SAP side in the in the uh, the public cloud, you've got all these multi-tenant SaaS offerings that, in theory, you should be able to turn it on for any prospect that wants to go into a sandbox environment and mess around and and, and sort of create data and try stuff. Um, whether or not they will, I don't know. I haven't heard of them doing it. I haven't heard of NetSuite or SAP doing it with S4 HANA, Public Cloud or Workday, Salesforce. I, I don't know of them doing that. Um, but some vendors do. And we'll, I guess I'll be curious to see if um, it spreads across the vendor community. But I think if customers put enough pressure on them, they probably will over time. They have the, they have the means to do it now with the cloud for sure. Do you think it's a question that's worth asking when you're going through the evaluation phase? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even if even if you think it's a long shot, or even if uh, you get you get weird looks or responses from your your sales rep, I think it's worth asking. I mean, why not? Why couldn't we get? Especially if you're looking at a SaaS, multi-tenant SaaS cloud solution or, or a public cloud solution, there should be a way for them to create a uh, sort of a sandbox demo test environment that you could be go in and mess around with. Very interesting for sure. And maybe an, an evolution as we talk about our 2024 top systems and offerings. Um, one more question I'll bring to the table, and this is a really interesting one too. We talk a lot about vendor lock-in and that's kind of been a, a conversation um, that's been trending in our industry, in our marketplace, the risks of vendor lock-in, what that looks like. This question is mostly about moving to a SaaS solution and having managed IT services actually manage your cloud. Um, so what does that look like as far as risk for vendor lock-in on that side of the maintenance post-implementation? Yeah, as far as, um, what do you mean as far as like the, the maintenance of cloud solutions? Is that what you're saying? Or 
Yeah, so this this user is asking, okay, I chose my system, I implemented it, I was really mindful of vendor lock-in the entire time, I understood those risks. Now I'm looking for someone to manage my cloud service. Is vendor lock-in mm-hmm. a risk when I'm looking at those partners? It is. I mean, it always is. I guess it's, um, you know, anytime you use a lot of one vendor, you become more dependent on that vendor. And um, the 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 leverage between you and them sort of shifts, you know, it, it, the, the vendor has more leverage and more control over you than you might want or than you may have intended. Um, and that certainly is true in that managed service environment where now, where now not only are you using the vendor software, but now the vendor is providing all the managed service support type uh, capability going forward. That's why I am a fan of diversifying. You know, if you can diversify either your applications and or the support you're getting for your applications, it just takes your eggs out of, you know, prevents you from having all your eggs in one basket. So I think that's a, it's a great question and something that it's important to be aware of because that vendor lock-in is a real, it's a real challenge to overcome. And, and, and especially with, with today's cloud technologies, um, the switching costs are a lot higher. They're higher than ever now to switch from one cloud provider to another is a lot more difficult than it was in, in the on-premise model. So you better, you better like the vendor you're, you're getting locked into. And uh, I guess the question becomes, what do you do to mitigate that risk? And what do you do ultimately if you decide you do need to switch vendors, which will happen to a lot of organizations at some point. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, I think in previous episodes, you kind of called it a marriage, right? You have to make sure that that relationship is something that you can sustain. Um, but, you know, diversity not only brings lower risk, but it brings innovations too, especially in a new environment that you may have not gone before as a business, which we'll talk a lot about in this episode as far as new innovations in enterprise tech. So great questions. Just a reminder, we bring all of our user questions to Eric. He's never seen the questions before, so we put him in the hot seat every week um, to ask him these questions. You can either tag him on any of his social media channels. He's on LinkedIn, YouTube. TikTok, and a variety of other um, social media channels. Instagram, highly recommend as well. And then also you can go on our brand channels at Third Stage Consulting Group, wherever you get your social media content uh, and leave a question there. Our team does comb through all of the great questions that we have. These questions also are not just for Eric, therefore our audience members joining us now. Speaking of diversity in the conversation, that's our overall mission here at Transformation Ground Control. So be, uh, be sure to kind of pop your uh, thoughts and insights around that and we can aggregate those into future thought leadership. So thank you for the great questions. And I know we're excited to get some more user-generated content around some hot topics that you guys sent us this week. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. And we'll, uh, we'll get to those hot topics here in just a moment. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about AI regulations in American companies and sort of what's happening on the AI regulation front, not just in America, but what does that mean for the rest of the world as well? And then we're also going to talk about USA News' newly released top 10 ERP systems ranking for 2023. And we're going to talk more specifically about how that compares to our third stage consulting's top 10 list for 2024. And we'll see what the differences are there. And then later in the show, after we cover those two hot topics, we're going to have Adam Cheatham on the show. He's going to be on talking about the top ERP systems for 2024. So we're not necessarily going to go through a top 10 list or do a countdown of top systems, but we are going to talk about the leading ERP systems and how they compare to one another and what some of the trends are to be aware of in the technology space uh, going forward. And then last but not least, after Adam is on the show, later in the show, we are going to have a vendor panel discussion. That's uh, It's actually a clip from our recent in-person conference called Digital Stratosphere. We hosted it in Denver in October of this year. 
And in that, one of the sessions we had was a really interesting uh, vendor panel discussion where we had executives from Infor, IFS, Epicor, and NetSuite were all on the same panel. And we facilitated, you facilitated, you facilitated, Kyler, a discussion and tech agnostic and objective non-sales and marketing spin-ish sort of discussion uh, with general trends and things to be aware of in the marketplace uh, with those vendors. So that'll be a super interesting sort of a supplement to the discussion about top tier P systems for 2024 as well. So stick around for that. We'll have that vendor panel discussion later, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back with those hot topics and we'll go from there. So uh, we'll be right back with more transformation ground control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to third stage consulting group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control. My name is Eric Kimberling. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can see all the past episodes at that same website, and you can also subscribe and listen and view, listen to and view the podcast from that same website. So go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to check out more episodes. Um, so we've got some hot topics here, some really interesting hot topics related to software vendors and AI regulations. What, what have you got for us, Kyler? Yeah, absolutely. So just recently here in the U.S., we've um, launched some legislation around artificial intelligence and just the overall policies. It's kind of following suit. We've talked a lot about, you know, what they've done in um, European nations and what that looks like as far as privacy and security, but just kind of wanted to bring you up today of what we look like as kind of global standards around that. So this was an executive order. So it still has to go through our Congress and our overall um, legislation bodies, but it's actually from the president. So with an executive order, that shows a level of urgency around that. And that's something that we really feel like we've seen in the marketplace as far as a need. Um, so there's a few key directives, a few I wanted to unpack with you um, when it comes to looking at that piece. So the one I really want to get into is um, the actual competition around AI. So that's been a bigger conversation around how do we ensure that there's a competitive marketplace when we do have tech titans? I thought that might be a really interesting question for you specifically because you see what that can look like as far as power and influence in technology in the marketplace. So what are your thoughts on needing more competition around AI from specific vendors? Yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's, you know, it makes me a little nervous, I guess, when you, when you talk about regulation and you talk about, um, you know, the tech titans. So you, you have these big behemoths that are uh, involved with AI, of course, like Microsoft and Google, uh, as an example. Um, Elon Musk, I just read recently, you know, has his own platform that he's ready to launch um, using X or t Twitter X is his uh, sort of the backbone of it. 
Um, but then you've got some startups, you know, upstart vendors that are providing AI solutions as well. So, you know, when you get into regulatory type stuff, it just makes you wonder though, is it going to, is it going to favor certain players over others? Is there going to be biases in the market as a result of that? Um, I don't know. I don't know enough about the regulations that are in question or being discussed. Um, but, uh, it's, it's an interesting topic for sure. Yeah. I think it's, it's something that it's, it's so hard to measure because a lot of this is privately owned data. Um, so how are you mm -hmm. going to ensure that you have that, that oversight? Um, of those in support. These all sound like great opportunities in supporting workers and standing up for consumers, standards of AA safety and, and security. Those are all great conversations to have, but from a governing body, that will be extremely hard to activate. So I'm going to turn to the audience and see, you know, what are your thoughts around, should it be a government policy around safe, safety and security around AI, or should that be a group of business business ethics that are something that we should, you know, uh, abide by as, you know, a business community. So very interesting conversation. And this actually came to us through one of our users. So if you do have more information about this, or you would like us to cover something on transformation ground control, definitely um, pop uh, an article in my inbox on LinkedIn. Um, our viewers do it all the time. And it's something that we love to be able to feature what is valuable to you. So we'll keep an eye on this again, just an executive order at this point, but it is something that's that's moving towards additional legislation specifically in the US and European marketplace. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how that unfolds in the coming years and how it's just a matter of time, I suppose, until governments uh, throughout the world step in and, and take some sort of action. It's just a matter of what action are they going to take and how does that affect the AI space? Yeah, absolutely. Especially since it's really a global network. So it's hard for governments to look at, you know, how do you regulate things like election tampering or when they're not done in the domestic area in which the governing body is responsible for. So definitely a very complex conversation. Um, and speaking of complex, um, as you'll talk a lot and we'll talk a lot in this episode, choosing the best ERP system for your business is an incredibly complex um, initiative. So I'm, I'm really interested to share this updated from US News that's the best systems of 2023 to consider. Um, so some of these that are on this list are not on your list or not in kind of some of the lists that we've um, launched as third stage. We do have specific verticals and industry lists. So I just always, that's a big question that I always get, you know, what should I do if I'm in food and beverage or heavy manufacturing or in, you know, renewable energy, all of those different, we actually do have top 10 lists within our content that you can search on your YouTube channel or on our website. Um, but the best overall winner, ready, I'll do a little drum, drum roll in my microphone um, here, is actually um, Sage. So this is one that we do mention um, in our top 10 list as well. But I, I think it's very interesting that the best overall um, ERP system is Sage. So this vendor includes Sage X3, Sage 100, Sage 300, and Sage 500. Um, and they talk about this because of the marketplace of 365 third-party integrations specifically and the range in which that integration showcases, which is a trend you talk a lot about in the industry. So what is your reaction to that of actually Sage being the best overall ERP for businesses on um, you know, a national news list? 
Well, I mean, anytime there's a top 10 list, you, you have to wonder, you know, was there any vendor influence or sponsorship of that list? And I don't know if there was here or if that's the case, but, you know, I, I, I kind of get it. I mean, Sage is, um, is pretty common, especially in the small and mid market. So there's a, a large customer base using Sage. Um, I think there are some scalability issues with, with some of the Sage solutions as far as, you know, once you get to a certain size and once you get more complex, you know, you can outgrow Sage. Um, but it can be a good viable alternative to, you know, a NetSuite or, um, you know, other vendors that are more focused on the small to mid market. Um, whether or not it should be number one, I mean, you and I could debate that all day. The audience and I and you could debate that all day. Uh, but it, it, Sage is not a no name. Sage is a well-known solution. It's been around for a long time. They've got a good product suite. So, um, yeah, so it sort of makes sense. I don't agree with it being number one necessarily, but that's okay. We all, we all have different opinions of the market. Yeah. And that's the importance of that diversity in conversation. So turning to the audience, what are your thoughts on that? And I will just say one of our colleagues um, came in the office because I was laughing hysterically because one of the cons on this list, literally, and I quote, lacks some features of ERP systems, including sales management, logistics, and customer support, which are obviously very core competencies needed in an ERP system. So again, it, it it depends, right, as what our approach of what do you need out of your ERP system and what is best for you. Um, one I, I also wanted to ask you about um, that I've seen on a variety of 2024 lists is specifically in manufacturing is SysPro. And that's one, you know, I know we talk about on, a, on the delivery side. But when we look at kind of a heavy manufacturing, especially in today's age with challenges in supply chain, with inventory management, all of those different things, CISPRO seems to have gone up on lists and overall awareness when it comes to conversations in the ERP community. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, it, it really has. Um, CISPRO and, and another one that comes to mind is Acumatica. Um, those are two systems that are often used by manufacturing types of organizations uh, largely or that, at least that's where we see them being used and they're just good um they're good examples of niche focused solutions that are not necessarily trying to be everything to everyone they've got their they've got their target markets and and customer bases that they're good at addressing um so i think it's it's also a good reminder too that you know you want to look at your options and and understand that there's a lot of vendors that may not have the marketing budgets of like an Oracle or a Microsoft to, you know, plaster airport lounges or airport uh, banners, you know, all over the, for their advertising. It may not be well-known names, but there are established, very viable vendors out there like Cisbro, Acumatica uh, and others. So, um, so yeah, I think it's a, it's a good up and coming solution to consider if you're in that space. Yeah. Well, speaking of those pop culture or large advertisements, someone did call you um, the Tony Stark of ERP uh, this week in your YouTube comments. So congratulations on that. And I will say nice. Larry Ellison's actually in, in Iron Man too. So it, it's all cyclical. So very, very cool. Is he really? Compliment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, that is absolutely. cool. Very so, I know. I know soon, you know, you'll be doing um, cameos in, in Avenger movies, I'm sure. Absolutely. So. I mean, it only makes sense. And then Larry, uh, the next thing you know, Larry Ellison will be on this podcast. I know. A hundred percent. I really do think we're very close to Larry Ellison, but I digress. Um, yeah, the, right. last, yeah. Larry, the last. Larry, Larry and Elon are the two that we've got to get on here. 
I know. I know. Absolutely. We're, we're moving towards it. So everyone tag them in the comments. You heard it here first. So um, yes. the last one, Eric, I want to ask you about today is an interesting um, piece. We've also recommended it. It's one we well know, Katana, um, which it kind of goes back to the free trial model or the overall ability to gain leveled access without intense licensing. So just to give you an idea of why this is on the list, it's for small businesses, it's only $99 a month. They do require an annual contract. So you will be in contracts that you need to review, um, but it can go up to the you know $800, $900 a month, um, and has some onboarding fees. So that on-demand opportunity in training. So this has seemed to be something that's been more of a trend of that subscription model that's more customizable um, as well. So wanted to get your, your reaction on not only Quintana being on the list, but also um, the ability to kind of have more control around your subscription level. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, a great point in, in, Unfortunately, organizations don't have a lot of transparency or visibility into the pricing or the options that they have with their subscription models, and they end up over committing um, the subscription cost. And so I think easing into it, you can always add to your subscriptions later. Um, so I think, uh, you know, there's a couple of things you mentioned. I mean, it, it, it uh, having that transparency and managing your subscription costs, but also just being able to sort of try before you buy too much of a software is, is another movement. And, you know, I think that's sort of a, on that customer bill of rights, you know, things that you should have a right to do uh, before you, you commit to a software vendor. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to have um, some more conversations around the top systems of 2024, what we've seen as far as systems trends and what we've been actually recommending and seeing our clients really like. Um, it's one of the most important conversations we have um, during the year. So highly recommend, you know, turning into that, as I always call it, it's a rewatcher. You want to rewind it. You want to watch it again to ensure you get kind of all of those nuggets. So looking forward to this conversation for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be, it's going to be a fun one. And uh, the reason I know it's going to be fun is because we did a conversation like this last year uh, with Adam, who's going to be on in just a moment, talking about the top ERP systems to be aware of for 2024. We'll talk about uh, how vendors are evolving in the last year going into the new year. Um, what's changed in the last year in the vendor landscape and just what are the general tech trends to be aware of. So we're going to have Adam Cheatham on the show. He's managing director at third stage consulting. And he's very knowledgeable of the market, and it'll be a great conversation to, to unpack and talk about some of the different vendors in the market and what they're doing and what some of the trends are. So stick around for that. And then later, uh, we're going to have some of those same vendors that we're going to talk about here in just a moment. We're going to feature some of those same vendors uh, later on the show in a panel discussion. We're going to play you a clip from our Digital Stratosphere Conference where we had an in-person panel discussion with representatives or executives from uh, Infor, IFS, Epicor, and NetSuite. Um, and it's a great conversation because it's very rare. I, I don't think I've ever seen multiple software vendors in the same room talking about trends and evolutions of the marketplace and things like that. So it's a super interesting conversation that we'll play for you later. So stick around for that. Um, but in the meantime, we'll be right back with Adam Cheatham to talk about top ERP systems for 2024. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back.
Hi, my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm your host here on Transformation Ground Control. And if you haven't already, I want to invite you to buy my new book. It's called The Final Countdown, Strategies to Reach the Third Stage of Digital Transformation. It's my first book. I'm very proud of it. I love this book. And it, it was my attempt to create a summary and a playbook for what it takes to be successful in defining a digital strategy and a roadmap for your organization. So there's a lot of things we can cover when we talk about digital transformation. We talk about a lot of stuff on this show, but I wanted to condense it into a readable sort of a sequential format that made it easy to help define a digital strategy for project teams that is unique to your organization, unique to your goals and objectives. So really uh, hope you'll you'll read it. I hope you enjoy it. Again, it's called The Final Countdown. You can read that book by scanning the QR code right here in front of you, or you can go to thefinalcountdown.com. Um, again, it's it's been an Amazon bestseller since it came out, so I encourage uh, you to check it out and love to hear your views and your comments on it too. So The Final Countdown, my new book, you can go to thefinalcountdown.com or scan the QR code in front of you. Hope you enjoy, and we'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 147. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So be sure to check it out there. And at that same website, you can subscribe to the podcast in the audio-only versions of the podcast, or you can uh, find links to watch the podcast, the, the video version of the podcast on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter as well. So be sure to check it out there. Uh, excited for our next guest. He's been on the show many times uh, over the course of this podcast. This is his second time on the show talking about this exact topic, which is sort of our year-end uh, discussion of what to expect in terms of software vendors for the coming year. So we're going to talk about the top ERP systems for 2024. And joining me is Adam Cheatham, who's Managing Director here at Third Stage Consulting. So with all that being said, Adam, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good morning, good afternoon, and, and good evening to everybody else from around the world. These are always, always fun. Uh, I love joining these uh, conversation. So appreciate you bringing me in. Absolutely. Love, love having you here. And we, we were just talking about right before we came on live here, um, late by the way, because I was late today. So, uh, just to be clear to the audience here, the reason we're starting late is because of me, not because of Adam. Um, so it's totally my fault, but we were talking right before we went live that, um, we did this same session last year. It's been almost a year, but it feels like we just did it a couple months ago. We did the late 2022 version of this show where we talked about what trends to be aware of for 2023. So it's already been a year. It's time for us to revisit this topic again and see what's changed in the marketplace and see, you know, what, what exciting developments uh, we should be aware of as we start planning for ERP implementations in 2024. So um, I guess just to start, maybe Adam, tell us a little bit about yourself for those that haven't seen you on the show before. Um, tell us yeah. about you and your background. Yeah. So um I'm managing director at Third Stage Consulting Group, which generally means that I'm responsible for all of our delivery teams and making sure that they have all the tools that they need to produce the high quality that we uh, pride ourselves on at Third Stage. Um, I have a background in taking the digital transformation conversation from a business perspective, uh, where the goal is for technology to serve as an enabler of technology. I like to think of when we talk about achieving the third stage of digital transformation, the, um, two key phrases. One is self-sufficiency and the other one is continuous improvement. If you are not obtaining both of those within your ERP, you've not gotten to the third stage because you should be able to run your software by yourself without heavy dependency on uh, maintaining code from a vendor. 
or a system integrator, and you should be enabling your continuous improvement goals as a business so that you can continue to grow at, your, at the pace that you um, have sought to grow at. So that's really where my background comes from. I've been doing this type of thing for, gosh, it's 15 years now, it seems. It's been a long time, but um, I've always enjoyed uh, working with you, Eric, and, um, and, and Third Stage in general. So this is, this is a cool conversation. Yeah, our, our time together goes way back. So we've 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 seen uh, together in this space. We've seen a lot of a lot of interesting stuff uh, happen yeah. and develop in the in the marketplace. So it's it's been a it's been a fun ride for sure. And um, today's conversation will be no different, right? This continues to evolve, especially with the the many many changing technologies out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and already the audience is very actively engaged. I appreciate that because I'm not a morning person, and it's morning here in the U.S. And uh, I like that the audience is just keeping me. They're just getting me. They're getting me going here with with the comments and questions here already. Um, but I want to thank uh, all those of you that dropped in the chat where you're joining from. Uh, people joining all over the world, as I mentioned before: Denver, Colorado, Austin, Texas, uh, Rochester, New York, Baltimore in the U.S., uh, Sri Lanka, Pittsburgh, Paris, Oman, um, India, Milwaukee, um, Jeddah, uh, Belgium, Hungary, all over the place. So UK. So thank you everyone for joining here today, and I love having this global community. It's pretty cool thinking about you know all, all of us all over the world talking about this same stuff uh, all live here. So thank you for that. Um, but just to um, maybe get started here, um, what if if we sort of back up a little bit and just sort of look back on this last year in 2023 mm -hmm. and where we're headed in 2024? What are the biggest trends for ERP systems in 2023? Like, what are the biggest developments in the space that we should all be aware of? Yeah, um, well, I think that the biggest thing is the continuing trend towards uh, cloud and subscription-based software, right? Um, it gets harder and harder every year to talk somebody into selling an on-premise system. Um, and that's something that I think is is only going to continue. Um, it's it's a, a massive revenue driver for, for vendors in general. So I think that's something that um, it wouldn't be a, an only 2023 trend, but um, it is a, a continuing trend, I would say. And we've also started to see vendors talk a lot more about AI, which I think is an important thing to, to, to touch base on, um, especially as it pertains to the way that we approach software evaluations, which is uh, we don't recommend being the guinea pig. <laughs> right. And right now, um, you know, AI is is developing. It's a developing technology. It does a lot of great things. That's true. Um, but I, ERP is something that, from a developing a new technology perspective, tends to be a lagging um, adopter, if you will. So if you think about um, the subscription trend, for example, that's just now really, um, I'd say over the last year or two, reached a critical mass in ERP. Um, I think AI is going to do something very similar in that it's just going to continue to need to develop before it becomes something that you can trust. Uh, the way I like to think about it is um, if you're putting your business's lifeline um, up to chance because uh, you want something new to work, it, if you've never seen it work, and I promise you software vendors right now have never seen it really truly work the way you think it should, um, take it with a grain of salt. You know they're gonna um, they're gonna spend some time developing it. That's important, but at the same time, realize where it's at. You know, if it's on the future roadmap, that means it doesn't exist yet. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. when you go into vendor conferences this year, it's amazing how much the focus has really shifted to AI. I mean, they were already already talking about it. They're talking about machine mm -hmm. learning and AI and stuff like that 
pre 2023. But if you think about it, ChatGPT really just bust onto the scene late last year slash early this year. In a very short amount of time, it's suddenly become the number one trend that the industry seems to be obsessed with, which is just AI and how are we going to build AI into our into mm -hmm. our tool set and how are we going to fast track that? So it's, it's been pretty interesting to watch. When, how do you differentiate between things like predictive analytics and AI? Are they different? You know, right. maybe. <laughs> um, you know, the, I like to think that maybe even things like MRP, uh, that these things have been around for a long time. We've been using data to make decisions. The only difference is uh, in AI, in my opinion, is you're asking it to be a little bit smarter. Um, and as data becomes more mature in an organization, your system can be a little bit smarter. And that's, that's really... Uh, what you want to look for yeah yeah here's an interesting comment from the audience on uh, linkedin venkat says ai can be a reality or fate as a myth <laughs> so <I'm> right <laughs> curious to see where we go i don't know I'd, I'd be really curious to see how this how this unfolds because you know my time in this space i don't know about you adam but in my time i don't recall a trend that has taken hold so quickly even though it's ai is not new necessarily but it's it just has reached this tipping point of all of a sudden yeah. obsession or whatever. And it's, um, it's really fascinating to watch. I'll be curious to see if it really does stick, which I, I think yeah. it will, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, we even have the comment here, you know, a 90% correct algorithm is better than a 75% sales manager. And, um, that's a, um, there's a lot ba baked into that comment. Um, first of all, you got to get a, get your algorithm 90% correct. That's, that's not easy to do. And it's, yeah. um, it's even harder to prove that it's 90% right. Um, and it takes time to figure it out. Same, same as if you have a 75% sales manager, uh, you're going to, it's going to take you time to learn where that 25% wrong is just as much as it's going to take you time to learn where the 10% wrong is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you bring up a good point too, which is, you know, in parallel with ERP vendors trying to figure out how are they going to bake AI more, you know, um, more significantly into their offering. <laughs> In the meantime, what can we be doing as organizations to get ready for AI? And I think there's, you know, some some things I think you alluded to. Maybe it's worth unpacking as it relates to data and that sort of thing. What, what can we be doing to get ready for AI? So when AI is mature and when it's relevant to us as an organization, we're ready for it. Uh, getting your data clean and um, and comprehensive, right? Think, uh, if you want to think about AI as artificial intelligence, um, think about what data your brain gets as real intelligence right so it's taken in a lot of different sources of information just the same way um you know ai needs to take in a lot of different sources of information and if you're missing a big piece of information as an individual you can make bad decisions without it i mean ai is entirely dependent on 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 data and and pulling that information in and if it's missing a hole it's going to act like it's missing a hole so uh that's that's the biggest part Clean and comprehensive um, is the key. And I, um, it will take me a long time to get to the point where I don't feel like there always must be a human intervention point, right? You don't want AI running your business. I think somebody just hired some an, an AI as a, as a CEO or something like that. Um, okay. and, I, I didn't hear this. Uh, it did not go well. <laughs> I can't imagine that it did. Um, and then there was another restaurant that was uh, um, in San Francisco. They, um, it was an AI restaurant. It's an AI smoothies restaurant. Uh, they were open for two weeks. Uh, <laughs> right. So 
you know, it's it's still it's a um, it's an early adoption type of technology that you got to watch out and and know what you're getting into. Yeah, and, and Gage on LinkedIn has an interesting comment here, a question which is related to what you just said, which is it will be interesting to see whether AI is used as an enhancement tool to human operations or replacement, and what areas, industries, positions that will affect. So I think it's a great point that you're both making, which is what is AI yeah. going to mean to us as organizations, as as a society too? Um, but that'll be that'll be interesting to see how that unfolds and why organizations use AI. Are they trying to eliminate humans or make them better at their jobs or some combination of both? Yeah, and uh, then you start thinking about the change management aspect of that, right? Like it's uh, change management is hard enough when you talk about replacing somebody's spreadsheet, uh, right? <laughs> you talk about replacing intelligence. And now, where are you uh, from a change management perspective, and, and how do you approach that? You know, it's, um, it gets a whole lot more intimate in the competition with individual jobs. Um, yeah. And I, I do love this. If if you're missing a hole, it's going to hallucinate data to fill it. I had I had never thought, thought it never crossed my mind that artificial intelligence could hallucinate. <laughs> I mean, anything's possible with AI. That's what I'm hearing anyway. <laughs> they made movies about it, you know. <laughs> exactly. Back, back in the 80s, they were talking about this stuff. Um, right. In the year 2000. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's super interesting. Here's a getting into the uh, oh, actually, before I go to that, um, this is a comment to, to fill fill in a, a gap or, or to complete the thought there with the the AI CEO, Mika, the CEO, only had a rum and spirits producer. <laughs> so that's interesting. Someone that produces rums and spirits has a CEO that's AI, but no longer. Apparently, Mika gets fired. Is that right? So, am I understanding this right? They hired AI, and then they did they fire the CEO? I don't know exactly, exactly what happened, but I did read that it went. Um, it was not exactly as as planned. But I guess um, if it's a rum producer, um, maybe the maybe the purpose was mis misdirected and well if we have ai run our company there's more time for the rum <laughs> right exactly <laughs> or they're drinking rum when they came up with the idea of having an ai ceo somebody uh, was going to be the first yeah <laughs> well so for, so for everyone that's worried about ai taking human jobs we've got a case study here of ai losing their job to a human so uh there's good news there's a silver lining in all this I'm here with Adam Cheatham talking about the top ERP systems for 2024. We've got a lot more to cover. Stick around. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 147. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and I'm here with Adam Cheatham talking about the top ERP systems for 2024. We've got a lot more to dive into, so let's jump back into it. Shifting gears a bit and getting into some specific vendor-ish type questions, which I, I think is what everyone really wants to hear. That's where all the juicy controversy always starts. And leave it to Kyler, uh, our co-host on Transformation Ground Control, to really stir the pot here. 
Um, this is her question here on, uh, although I don't think she means it this way. Uh, her question is, what are your thoughts on SAP's move to mid-market with the announcement of Grow? And I've got a follow-up question on, a, on another vendor related to this uh, in a moment to, to build on this. But what are your thoughts about SAP sort of going down market, announcing this yeah. Grow initiative to try and get further penetrate that market? Uh, honestly, I think it's about time. Um, I've been waiting for them to do this for about five years um, with the the HANA platform. I thought it would end up on, on a HANA platform, to be entirely honest, but um, it's slightly different. Um, but I think that it's it, it was time uh, for SAP to come back into that. I don't know how many folks have, have evaluated uh, the Business One uh, platform and, and the, the other pre-existing SAP uh, smaller market products, but uh, they, they're starting to look old. Uh, and yeah. they're starting to, to really become antiquated, right? The, the investments just weren't there. So it's time for that to happen. I've heard some great things from them about it, and I'm, I'm interested in seeing how it turns out. I think it's also worth going back to the don't be the guinea pig conversation. Uh, they're saying some in, some amazing things about these platforms. Like they can have a um, core business processes up in as, as quickly as four weeks and a full ERP as quickly as 13. Um, you know, that's, that's incredible. Uh, the, the only folks that I've seen do that effectively to date are NetSuite and with their sweet success methodology and they can do it. So I believe that SAP can do it as well. I just haven't seen it yet. So the, the grow and the rise platforms, I think it's, it's, it was time for that to happen. I'm, I'm excited to see how that disrupts the industry because I think that it will. Um, but it's at the same time, it's not not yet proven. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing it when it happens. Yeah. Yeah, it will be curious to see too if they can, um, if SAP can figure out how to sort of streamline their footprint, you know, if you will, or streamline mm -hmm. the product, streamline the implementations of these products so that it's more relevant and, and lighter, you know, for the mid-market, not so heavy, you know, compared to like a Fortune 500 company, because um, mm -hmm. they're, they're going to need that, obviously, to, to be successful right. in that space. Um, you mentioned NetSuite, too, which I was actually going to bring this up, too. I feel like it's kind of interesting to see NetSuite and SAP sort of converging in on the mid-market. You know, SAP's coming downstream. NetSuite's been moving upstream for ever since mm -hmm. Oracle acquired them. I feel like they've been sort of trying to go upstream into the upper mid-market. And uh, it'd be curious to see if SAP and NetSuite start to compete more as a result. But what are your thoughts on NetSuite sort of not abandoning their base? But, I mean, obviously, they, they still have a really solid base with the small, you know, smaller businesses that are just converting from say a QuickBooks, and this is sort of like yeah. the ERP system, but now they're kind of going after these bigger, more complex organizations. What are your thoughts about NetSuite going upstream? Yeah, uh, I, I think they, they're they growing more into that. One of the, um, yes, about trends, one of the things that I think has been um, a bigger trend uh, this, this year is that um, we hadn't prior to 2023 seen Oracle Fusion and Oracle NetSuite compete on the same deals very often. Uh, frankly, it was kind of more of a, when we talked to our connections at, at Oracle, um, they would pick one and then they would say, this is what we're going to go to go for, because I think they felt like maybe they were cannibalizing a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I think now the tactic is different though. Um, they want, they more often want to put both for forward. So I think there's more of a trying to flood the, the decision-making process with an Oracle product. Um, maybe because of a response to this SAP platform, maybe not. Um, but the, uh, that's been a change. I think that NetSuite can really scale up 
it struggles too if it's anything really super complex. Um, but they they're built on the made for NetSuite platforms that are uh, they they feel best of breed, but they are in the same code base. So you have a, a there's an advantage in that. So I'd say that as they grow into those spaces and target them, there are spaces where NetSuite fits in that larger market. Um, but I will say that it's it still um, is more to their core, the small medium businesses that are uh, that are going to end up in more of a NetSuite platform. Yeah. Yeah. And you use a keyword there that I wanted to touch on, which is platform. You know, I think a lot of vendors, including NetSuite, um, you know, Salesforce with the Force platform and other vendors, too, are starting to get into this more of the platform mentality of rather than just mm -hmm. building a single app that accomplishes needs of multiple industries and functions, they're doing that, but then also building a, an opportunity for third parties to develop apps within that native oh, yeah. solution, which is fascinating to see NetSuite do a lot of that too. Well, they're trying to corner the rest of the market, right? So the um, the conversation on best of breed and composable ERP, which is kind of the the new term for best of breed, people must have gotten tired of it. Right. <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll put it in the same bucket as best practice, right? It's just kind of some people are tired of hearing it. But when you think about it that way, uh, uh, providers are starting to try to, to, now that they've, I think, migrated the core of their ERP, our ERP start to build around that so that they can bring more things in-house. Um, Epicor is doing it. They, um, over this last year, they bought a, a transportation management system that uh, they'll bring in-house. And they're doing, they're, they're bringing in a lot of acquisitions from a, a a product perspective to integrate them with the Epicor platform. So uh, I, I think that we'll see that that expand um, and the market will grow back towards this monolithic conversation. It's just getting there to monolithic in pieces, I guess, um, where you can uh, get all of the same pieces, uh, get all the different pieces rather from the same provider. I think that's really what, where this is headed um, on, on the whole because as a, as the shift moves away from we got to get into the cloud, as more folks have gotten to that point, I think just about everybody has. Um, it'll now become now how do we expand our our reach within the cloud to keep more of our customers within just our platform, and that best of breed uh, composable ERP trend is going to only really continue to grow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and one thing it's worth noting here that we've, we've been talking about um, some of the vendors that we ranked in our top 10 uh, ranking for 2024. Every year we put out a, an independent ranking of top systems in the market uh, across industries, across functions and geographies, which is very difficult to do. It's very broad, but it can be a good starting point. And if you haven't seen that yet, I'm going to share um, if it lets me. Uh, if you Yeah, in the top left corner of the screen there, um, you can see the um, there's a QR code you can scan to, to see our top 10 list there. And I'd love to hear, if, you know, while we're talking here today, if you if you look at that list, kind of scan through that list and have questions about it, we'd love to take some of those questions here um, as we're talking here today. So I'll leave that up here for a moment um, to let you scan that so you can view our top 10 list. Um, but another question um, that came up here, I'm going to come back to you here. Um, just lost it. Um, this is more of a less of a vendor specific question and more of a general trend sort of a question. It's about the cloud. And here it is. Okay, this is from LinkedIn. I apologize. I don't see who the, the person is. Uh, I don't see the name on this LinkedIn account, but I do see it coming from LinkedIn. 
And that is, what do you think about the cloud hype? Is there real added value for customers or is it just ERP vendors making more money on the same customer base? <laughs> Stirring up the controversy. I like it. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's, let's just go with a yes. Um, you know, I, I think that there are, um, there are scenarios where we have seen clients that have been severely disadvantaged by the cloud platform approach where um, if you don't go live and on time, go live on budget and on time, you're in a real tough spot because, um, you know, it's it's really, really hard to talk vendors into giving that money back. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever seen them do it. Um, so we've, we've had clients that have said, I've been trying to implement this software for three years and we are still not live and we've been paying for licenses since day one and we'd love to get some of that money back and vendor says no way <laughs> um actually you got two more years so make sure you keep making those payments on time this um so there, there is a bit of a of a revenue generation engine behind that that's changed the dynamic of the space uh whereas in the in the past with the on-premise and the perpetual licensing platforms it was it was much easier to say well we'll buy the license when licenses when we go live um that doesn't happen anymore uh so I'd, I'd say that there is a challenge in that if you find yourself in the wrong spot. But I think that overall, the subscription base and the multi-tenant platforms uh, that are out there from a cloud perspective are really important to, to the growth of businesses in today's day and age. Um, if, if you want to be nimble and you want to be responsive to the market, you got to be on the Internet. And, and there's just no other way around it. And it allows for such rapid scalability. Um, you know, you don't have to take new servers to the other side of the world to, to integrate your platforms and then have batch jobs. It's all real time. And that's that was a whole lot harder to do um, in, uh, in, in the past. And it was really starting to feel like a cloud base anyway, uh, once the, you started doing it really well, because it's, it's all just servers connected to the Internet, which is essentially what it is. The only difference is the servers are on the uh, on the vendor's platform. Plat, you know, server platforms and all that stuff rather than yours. So I'd say that the, the benefits are there, um, especially as it pertains to being responsive. Uh, so I, I would I would encourage the, the cloud platforms for sure. And at the end of the day, it also forces the conversation on, on customization into a um, into a place where it belongs, I think. Um, it helps customers break habits in customization rather than uh, reinforces them, which is the old uh, on-premise. You write the code, you write it, say anything. Uh, today, that's harder to do because of the multi-tenant scenarios. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm here with Adam Cheatham talking about the top ERP systems for 2024. We've got a lot more to cover. Stick around. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com.
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 147. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and I'm here with Adam Cheatham talking about the top ERP systems for 2024. We've got a lot more to dive into, so let's jump back into it. You know, longer term, if we fast forward, say, three to five years from now, I think a lot of this becomes somewhat of a moot point. But I, but I think right now, the cloud space, the cloud ERP space, largely is is largely in this transitionary stage. Um, if you set aside, say, a NetSuite, Workday, Salesforce, those are three, you know, big ERP enterprise tech vendors that are built in the cloud. They're built as SaaS solutions. So set those aside for a moment because this comment yeah. doesn't apply to them. But aside from NetSuite, Salesforce, Workday, um, you look at the rest of the market um, in the ERP space. Most of them are migrating from their on-prem solutions, which had been around for decades with all this R&D and all this advanced functionality yeah. and stuff that was built for those core solutions. Now they're trying to rewrite all that stuff and recreate that and replicate that functionality in the cloud, which will eventually get there, but we're still kind of working through the growing pains of that transition. So to answer the question about, is this better for the vendors? I'd say in the short term and long term, it, it is really good for the vendors. I mean, the vendors obviously are, are chomping at the bit to get more cloud subscription revenue. Investors love it. It increases the multiples of their valuations and they make more money when they sell more cloud software. Um, in the short term, it may not be as much value as it will be in, say, three or five or seven years from now, because those solutions will mature and they'll deliver more value over time. But right now, it's difficult because a lot of these vendors don't quite have the capabilities in the cloud that they used to have in um, on-prem. You know, Now, having said that, there are some new capabilities they're introducing and in, that can only be enabled by the cloud or further enabled by the cloud, like AI and some mm -hmm. of the analytics and things like that. Internet of Things, you know, you think about all these things that are enabled by cloud, there is going to be more value over time. But in the short term, organizations have to be realistic that there are some bumpy growing pains in that transition. Yeah, and I'd, I'd say that the, um, coming back to the AI conversation, this, you, you won't be able to leverage that um, effectively without a cloud SaaS based platform, because um, when you really get into it and all that data becomes all all shared, whether it's um, partitioned uh, well or, or not, you start to gain a lot more access, right? That's that's really um, when when AI gets to the point where it can not only leverage your data but the data that's out there as well um, <clears throat> on, on, on in other systems. I think that's a really uh, really powerful thing to be able to say that uh, predictive analytics and those types of things can not only draw in your information, but what's happening on the broader market because of the size of the platform. So there's a lot in that that, that has a lot, a lot of value uh, that I think is going to just continue to expand. Right. Um, I do want to poke a little bit on uh, the Workday and the uh, the Salesforce uh, conversation where we think of those as, as ERP packages. I don't like thinking of those as ERP packages, yeah. to be fair. Um, Salesforce is, is a CRM, uh, right? right? You can you can combine it with similar platforms like Financial Force, and you can pull together an ERP environment. I think that's a different thing than an ERP system. Yeah. Workday is also um, has gotten to the point where I think that they are more viable as an ERP. They started as an HCM, um, but they are not in the in anything other than professional services and, and more people oriented products. Um, they can serve as an ERP in those cases, but if you're a manufacturing company or something like that, heavy distribution, Workday is going to be going to feel a whole lot less like an like an ERP system. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I think that's that's a great point, and it's worth noting because I I tend to sort of blur the lines between ERP and non-ERP solutions, and uh, or on time, and you know, <laughs> right, <laughs> right, exactly. It, yeah, things like starting a live uh, podcast interview at the top of the hour versus five minutes after. I mean, the gray areas like that. <laughs> but uh, but it is worth noting because you know, uh, Salesforce has that a platform, right? It's not an ERP system per se, but it does give you a platform that you could deploy technologies that give you the ERP-ish sort of experience, but it, it really is a platform slash best of breed where you're tying together multiple applications to create the ERP functionality you're looking for, yeah. which could be a good fit, but it's not an ERP system. You're right. It's absolutely, you know, multiple systems. And I, th I think the vendors will probably start to continue to blur those lines a bit between ERP and best of breed and platform mm -hmm. versus application and things of that nature. Um, here's another uh, vendor specific question from Kyler on LinkedIn. Um, Kyler uh, points to our top 10 ERP ranking, which again, you can scan with the QR code top left side of your screen if you want to view our top 10 list and comment on it. Um, but Kyler's comment here is Epicor is new on our top ERP systems of 2024. And in the top five, why the rise of the system in the last year? And uh, what are your thoughts on Epicor? First of all, do you think it belongs in the top five? Um, I, and we all have individual opinions, right? That may or may not align with the top 10 list exactly is how we put it out. But, you know, we've mm -hmm. got differing opinions, which is what makes it interesting. And you end up with sort of an average that gets you to the top 10 list, but we each have individually differing opinions. So what are your thoughts on Epicor? Does it belong in the top five? Yeah, and I'm pulling up the list itself so I can refer to it more directly also as we're, as we're talking here. But I, I would say, yes, it does belong in the top five. Um, <clears throat> I've seen Epicor do some great things. And in the areas where they have, have struggled in the past, they've actually fixed those things and taken that quite seriously. So um, one of the challenges that I had in the past, for example, was the conversation between um, you buy Epicor Kinetic and then you go through an implementation where you say, well, that screen's going to have to be in classic. What did you just say to me? Because <laughs> um, am I using two ERPs right now or something? And that's that's a challenge. Uh, that, that was really hard to, to really walk the clients through and look, this is coming, especially when we talk about if it's on the roadmap, it doesn't exist yet. Um, but they've, got, they've plugged um, most, if not all of those holes now, and they've become a more comprehensive single interface. I think that that by itself is something that not a lot of providers are able to, to accomplish on the whole. <clears throat> and then I think that they are also um, in the way that they're growing their footprint in ERP uh, uh, as it pertains to pulling in more of those edge systems in the environment and making them integrated with, with the Kinetic platform as uh, definitely uh, belongs in the top five. You know, the, um, there are others in the top five that I may argue against, but um, <clears throat> I think Epicor does belong in there. Yeah, I think Epicor too. One thing, you know, if you look beyond the products that Epicor provides, I think one thing that they have going for them is um, just organizationally, internally, organizationally at Epicor and also within their ecosystem, how they're handling both of those dimensions of ERP vendor evaluation. So, so when I talk about internal organization they have a, a really strong leadership team they've pulled a lot of players from the industry that have worked at other big vendors they're now all at epicor so i feel like they've gotten a bit of, of talent at the, at the top that they didn't have before and they have some stability as a company they've they've yeah. gone through a lot of transitions and pe handoffs and things like that just buying and selling the company it just sort of got gutted over time and i think 
they, the company suffered as a result. And then also the ecosystem, you know, they were at odds with a lot of their VARs for a long time. They didn't really have a good VAR implementation partner sort of network. And I think they're working really hard on building yeah. that back out again, which I think both of those things were, you know, are intangibles that are worth noting when you, when you consider what ERP vendor you want to work with. Yep. I think it's also worth always, when you, when you mention Epicor, you can't get away from mentioning Infor. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say that if, if you're going to talk about Oracle versus SAP, the next step down, the kind of like the, um, before the, before the main event is always Infor versus Epicor. I think that's really the quintessential matchup and Epicor matches up with them quite well. I'd say that <clears throat> when we go through the process of evaluating them head to head, uh, they, they both compete quite uh, quite strongly against each other, and and Infor's um, move towards uh, a more appropriate branding of the cloud suite with M um, three on the cloud suite, Sightline on the cloud suite, LN on the cloud suite, um, as opposed to trying to call some of it cloud suite, some of it not, has really been a, uh, something that they benefited from, and and Coke Industries is really um, their acquisition of Infor is really stabilized as well, and we're seeing that come together. Too. So I think those those two are are, are neck and neck um, on the whole, uh, and and really a good thing to watch as we as we really start to see the um, twenty twenty four come together is what happens for both of those. Yeah, yeah. And just building on your comment there about Infor, this is from Venkat on LinkedIn. He says, "I'm a licensed partner for Infor, and cloud proves to be a winning point for Infor implementations. Nevertheless, the startup and onboarding are pretty cringy, and any customization can be made more easy or could be made more easy. Um, so that's that's great feedback. And always, I think a lot of vendors, that same comment could be applied to a lot of software vendors as far as uh, the startup and onboarding needing a bit of work and you know getting outside the realm of just handing off a bunch of technology to an organization and, and hoping that they figure out how to use it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious in in, um, in in your mind when we talk about the big guys, you know, the, the S4 HANA versus the Fusion platform. What what you're seeing in the marketplace as far as um, how those two are competing against each other? I mean, it's, we've over, over the years seen some real fireworks between those two companies from yeah, somebody yeah. That's, that's that's in it as a thought leader every day. Um, how do you see that battle going uh, down um, from the 2023 transitioning into 2024? Yeah, that's an interesting point. I feel like actually, um, you know, in the past, SAP versus Oracle has has been, you know, that's a common evaluation we would see fairly commonly. You and I going back, you know, 10 years, I feel like 10 years ago, you'd see a lot of SAP versus Oracle evaluations. Clients would hire us to come in and figure out which is the best. I feel like we're not seeing that as much, but what we are seeing is more of a validation of whether or not S4 HANA could work for an existing SAP customer or that Oracle Fusion could work for an existing Oracle um, legacy product customer. So yeah. to answer your question, I, I feel like S4 HANA is actually doing a lot better as far as migrating their their legacy customers to the cloud. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, there's, there's a huge percentage, an overwhelming majority have not yet started their migration to S4 HANA. So good news, bad news, I suppose. That's good news. It's a lot of opportunity for SAP. Uh, but of that 35 or 37% of the SAP customer base that has started a transition to S4 HANA. Um, there just seems to be a lot more movement there. I don't, we don't see, we don't seem to be seeing as much movement in Oracle though. I don't see, like we don't see as many Oracle Fusion implementations as we do S4 HANA. And I don't know why that is. I don't, you know, it, it could be just, you know, a sample bias with our client base. I'm not sure, but what are, what are you seeing? I mean, you're actually closer to the projects than I am as far as, you know, you may. Yeah, 
direction. I think that um, a lot more of our engagements with SAP um, and Oracle on the HANA and the Fusion platforms has been more oriented towards <clears throat> failures, to be fair and honest. Um, SAP implementations are really, really hard, and we usually get brought into them because something is hard and, and kind of carrying across the finish line. I'd say that <clears throat> I've seen more regularly the Fusion projects become abandonment projects more than the SAPs, um, where um, SAP's functionality that doesn't quite fit still can cross that last mile, where I've seen a, a whole lot more where the Fusion platform doesn't fit, it's not going too soon. Um, and that, that's, I think, the, the bigger worry for me on the Oracle side is that <clears throat> there's, there's not a light at the end of the tunnel, uh, where with the SAP uh, platform, they've had a whole lot more time to really get good at it. Um, I guess they've had about the same amount of time, but they've spent more time getting good at it, maybe is a better way of putting it. So we see more S4HANA um, on, on that than the, than the Fusion. But I'd, I'd, see, I'd say I would expect the Fusion to start coming up a bit more because it is something that is, they've got a, a platform that they've done a great job of building. Um, it's just needs more more building, right? So yeah. I'm here with Adam Cheatham talking about the top ERP systems for 2024. We've got a lot more to cover. Stick around. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 147. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyla Cheatham, and I'm here with Adam Cheatham talking about the top ERP systems for 2024. We've got a lot more to dive into, so let's jump back into it. Yeah, it's, you can bring up a couple of really good points there that I hadn't thought of. One is that, you know, that the trouble that's for HANA implementations, we're getting hired by a lot of them to help fix the problems they're having. And so... Yeah. You look at that and say, well, is that a good sign for SAP that, you know, a lot of their customers are hiring us to come fix them? I, I don't know. Or I don't think so. I don't think that's a good sign. Um, but um, what you bring up a good point that S4 HANA does have gaps. I mean, there's some deficiencies there that yeah. I know the SAP community hates when I say this, but I'll say it anyway. Um, there, there are gaps in S4 HANA. There's things they can't do, especially when you get to some of that edge functionality around mm -hmm. demand forecasting or PLM or whatever the case may be. Um, you, get, you just have these gaps of things that ECC and R3 could have done really well and seamlessly. Now, S4 HANA doesn't do it quite as well because they just haven't mm -hmm. heard enough. Um, Oracle Fusion, on the other hand, Oracle Fusion, I feel like has been around. I mean, Fusion was developed, I mean, it was like 12 or 15 years ago. It was a long time ago they started working on Fusion so much. I mean, so long ago that it became kind of a joke. Like, are they ever going to finish Fusion? And now it's almost like the joke 
maybe maybe Oracle's the one laughing now because Fusion is is further along in some ways than S4 HANA, and maybe that's why we're not seeing as many Oracle implementations because they're not as many troubled implementations. I I don't know. Um, yeah. I'd be curious to hear from the audience what your hypothesis would be on why we might see more S4 HANA implementations versus Oracle. Yeah, it's an interesting question, and well, I, I do expect that to develop quite a bit more over the next few years, especially as um, you know when we get closer to that SAP deadline. Um, yeah. You know, people are going to start freaking out a little bit more. I actually talked to a, a guy in, in Brazil recently that was uh, talking about changing to SAP, and they I want to make that 2025 20, deadline and ask him, have you started yet? Uh, I said, no. I was like, you might think about that because, um, <clears throat> you know, 18 months is uh, is aggressive for an S4 HANA platform uh, implementation. And if you, if you miss... Um, and it's a big miss, then you got probably another 18 on top of that. And now, now all of a sudden we're three years in and you've missed that deadline. So um, it's, it's definitely hard. Um, <clears throat> I would say that the biggest advantage I see on SAP side is that we see more organizations that, um, that are, we're an SAP shop. SAP comes with a culture um, and that is our culture. And so we are going SAP the whole way because of this. Um, on the flip side that, that the Oracle, I think that they do have a whole lot more of the, um, the depth where it, where they've got it. Um, uh, so the, the Oracle side of it is, I would say easier to implement, but easier is a relative term. Keep in mind. Yes, you didn't say easy. You said easier. <laughs> yes. Um, comparatively. Right. Um, so I think that there's an advantage in that. So we'll see how that plays out over the next year. I think it's, it's really going to start getting to the point where larger organizations are thinking more uh, cloud-based uh, cloud and, and, and we'll see a bit more of that, um, which I think is actually worth bringing up our, our number one here, Microsoft Dynamics uh, yeah. Finance and Operations, because um, I'd say that they, they will continue to, uh, to really occupy a really great space because not only can they compete with the SAPs, the S4 HANA and the Oracle Fusion platforms, but they can also compete better down market. Yeah, um, yeah. And so when you're, if you're, if you're not a half a billion dollars or larger, uh, you don't belong in, in, in fusion or HANA. You just don't, it's too expensive and too hard to do. And if you do bomb it, you've got fewer resources to recover. Yeah. But dynamics we've seen scale way down. And then, um, I think Microsoft's bigger challenge is there's a, there is a gap, a big, a big gap between uh, business central and dynamics. Um, and I'm, I'm curious on, on your side as we talk about Microsoft, do you see them closing that gap or do you see them continuing to take pretty significant difference, uh, different strategies in, in their market approach for those two? That's a great question. I, I don't know how they close the gap because, you know, FNO or the finance and operations version of Dynamics 365 is so robust. You know, it's built for a lot of different um, industries and functions and they've even got you know, we were talking about platforms earlier, they've got somewhat of a platform strategy where third party partners can take the core FNO D365 product and tailor it for a certain industry or a certain function. Like for example, there's a, you know, Tyler Technologies has taken Dynamics 365 and tailored it for, um, or they've taken Microsoft Dynamics. I don't know if it's D365 or not. So take this with a grain of salt. They may have my details yeah. slightly wrong, but in general, Tyler Technologies has taken Microsoft products and applied it to government. And, you yeah. know, there's, a, I can give you a million other examples of third parties that have done that. So 
on one hand, they've built this very robust tool, this partner ecosystem that can tailor the F and O product for all these different industries. But to your point, you get, if you're too big for business central in business central is Microsoft's answer to NetSuite. Really? I mean, it's, it's meant to be a yeah. kind of a smaller ERP system. There is a big jump going from BC to D365 F and O. And there is a gap there. If you're sort of in the lower mid market, it could be, it could be tricky. Yeah. Because, and I don't know how they feel. Maybe, it, to be honest. maybe they don't. You know, yeah, um, that's okay. We'll see. I think that the they did a better job of the the, the lower market um, in the past with with AX, but I think that they did a a, a poorer job with the larger market in AX. Uh, yeah, those platforms. So uh, we'll we'll have to see where that goes. But I, I do really like the Microsoft platforms. I do like that they are number one from an F and O perspective. Um, I think that the business central side of it is something that. Um, is is challenging in that we see a lot of folks try to implement that themselves um and uh without a system integrator which it can be done um, but you still have to have a pmo and that's really the, the big piece of it and this applies to all erp implementations right you know um you don't want your system integrator or your vendor to be your pmo you want to have a separate one um yeah. and when um and when you don't hire a system integrator and you try to do it yourself and you don't have one, it's hard to see that you need one. So if you need help with that, I can certainly uh, give me a holler because we do a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of what we do is software evaluations and just objectively and independently trying to figure out what the best answer is for, for clients. Um, here's a question that I have to ask because I know it's going to be a trigger for you. So it's going to be an awesome uh, <laughs> question here. It's from no one I'm other than God. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> LinkedIn. Uh, what about the movement to low code, no code solutions and the popularity of open source systems like Odoo? And I know you have some strong opinions about open source and Odoo. What are your what are your thoughts on that movement in the ERP space? I don't believe the business belongs in the code. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so that's that's a personal thing. Um, and I, I work really hard as, as an independent and agnostic advisor to make sure that that doesn't influence my uh, our recommendations because we do recommend Odoo every now and again, just as often as anybody else. <clears throat> and I think that it does provide the, the teams that have, <clears throat> excuse me, the maturity of their IT office, a great opportunity. It feels like a smaller software package for smaller companies. So I would, I would be yeah. aware of that. Um, Somebody came to me recently, though, with an in, with a really interesting conversation, which was um, Odoo is a is a core base for a composable ERP approach. What if we get our manufacturing from someone else? <clears throat> Sorry, I got like a frog in my throat or something, and I'm out of coffee, so I will bear with it. Um, but as a as a composable ERP approach, so we could run our finances with with Odoo but manufacturing out of something else um, that was a really interesting idea for me because uh, it was literally they're literally talking about buying two different erps but uh, one for back of the house ops and one for shop floor ops and i think that's a great idea um it's of course not not that not that i know of tried and tested by any means but it's an interesting thought process that really might expand uh, the the footprint of, of Odoo into a lot of uh, hearts and minds and that it gives an opportunity where a company can control their own uh, integrated environment from an interoperability platform. That's that's an interesting take on that for me. Yeah, 
Yeah. <laughs> and uh, comment from LinkedIn. Kyler on LinkedIn says he's so triggered that he lost his voice. And uh, that yeah. appears to be what I'm speechless at the, <laughs> at the predictability that that question was going to come up. <laughs> you knew I was going to ask you about it. I'll do it. I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So just to give you a little background uh, sneak peek into how the sausage is made, I always, whenever I have a guest on the show, including even Adam, who's been on here a million times, he knows me really well, I still send the questions in advance and say, these are the things I'm, I'm going to want to ask you. I intentionally did not put Odoo on there because I knew I was going to ask, is it going to be like a sneak attack? And I was just going to pop it on you and see how you responded. And there we go. I didn't have to do it. By the way, but Kyler did my dirty work for me, though. So I do, there is one that we didn't touch on on our list, which I think is important to touch on is IFS. They are an incredibly complex platform. And what I really, I think they're actually, in my opinion, underrated on this list. Um, that they're really, really a very good platform and they handle complexity very, very well. Um, if you're talking about SAPS for HANA and you uh, want to kick the tires on a possible competitor, think about IFS. Um, we have seen them really do well against SAP, especially in complex manufacturing environments. So I think that's a, a good thing to think about. Um, and really, if you're thinking in those in, in heavily complex manufacturing, um, SAP, IFS, and N4LN, uh, we, we really see those three go head to head fairly regularly from that perspective. So you can't ignore them there. And then smaller businesses that, um, that have a breadth of, of complexity as well um, do really well with IFS too. They, they scale quite nicely. Yeah. Um, so, um, they are complex, regardless of the size of, the, of your business. They're going to be complex to implement, but they do uh, they do provide really really strong functionality, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So well, that's interesting. So actually, um, I know a lot of people in the audience have already scanned the QR code top left side of your screen. You can see the the top ten ranking for twenty twenty four by scanning that code. But um, what else? So you you talked about IFS. You think is understated in our top ten list. Clearly, you think Odoo should be number one uh, on our list. Right? Right. Well, of course, because the, the list is in order. So I, I think that they uh, in, in opposite order. So number one, um, of course, I would put Odoo in that first spot right there. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just teasing. I, from, what other from changes would you make though? Like, what other things jump out at you? Like, if this yeah. is your, the Adam Cheatham top ten list, what what would you change? Yeah. Like, what are the things that jump out at you? I think um, honestly, I think NetSuite's underrated um on this list i think they belong in the top five mm -hmm. uh and i i think fusion I, um it does not um to to be fair um netsuite is I, I think that they with sap coming into the market they're they're facing increased competition which makes them feel like they're not as strong but they they're a top competitor and they've got a target on their backs which makes it hard to see that they they deserve it. They, they've earned that target on their backs. In my opinion, that's, that's how I think about it. Um, so I, I'd say that they're underrated um, and IFS is underrated. Um, I, I really like the IFS platform. Um, and that when you when you get it right, their implementation teams are very good. Um, and that's that's really a key to the, the piece of the puzzle. You don't have to just select the right software. You have to implement it well. So I think that those two are, are underrated. I personally, I, I don't like Workday in the top five um, because I don't think it's a comprehensive ERP. You don't, you won't use it to run a shop floor. And for me, I'd maybe take a more traditional definition of, of ERP mm -hmm. uh, for sure. 
And then as we're coming here, honorable mentions in the uh, small, medium business space, I'd love to toss in the rise in the grow platforms as an honorable mention. Um, they're, they're doing, they're saying the right things. You can't put them on a top 10 list because we haven't seen them executed. They've really only been in existence in this calendar year. Um, so the, um, I think that those are some key components that would be in there. Um, I like where we've got dynamics. Um, I like Infor and Epicor in the top five. So I, I think that those are those are the things that um, stand out the most to me. And I would say that I, I do like Odoo as um, as a, a step above the the Force platform because yeah yeah um, the Force platform it's it doesn't feel as integrated to me as it ought to. So it's uh, that there's just not as much of a breadth of functionality. Again, the shop floor right and from a traditional ERP perspective. Um, is anybody using the Force platform to run the shop floor? I haven't heard of it. Um, I've heard them try to use Rootstock. And I, um, at, with mixed results. So, yeah. 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 Very interesting. So those are great, great uh, additions. I'd be curious to hear from the audience too, what you would change or add to the, to the mix here in the top 10 list as you see it. And again, you can scan that QR code top left side of your screen if you want to see the top 10 list. So, I guess just to kind of close it all out and sort of wrap up the conversation, Adam, what, what are some of the, you think about software vendors to watch in 2024, you know, what are those, are there certain ones that are up and coming or um, big guys that are going to make a move that you think are going to make, yeah. make more of a footprint? What, what are your thoughts? Um, I would say that I, I think that M4 is going to continue to make a, a move in the, in the space in, in 2024. I think that that's, that's undeniable. They're really starting to, uh, to settle into a, a really, really a position of strength. Um, I would see, uh, I wouldn't be surprised by a, um, a drop in popularity on the Dynamics platform, uh, similar to what we saw with NetSuite uh, this, this last year, because that's that's certainly something that I would, I would, um, if I were a betting man, I would say that the, that uh, Dynamics drops out of the top five just by sheer. Uh, sheer will of uh, of the folks that try to implement it and getting tired of it. Same with NetSuite, right? And now it's got it'll have a target. Um, I think that you'll continue to see SAP be a struggle for some, um, and I think that you'll uh, you'll see Fusion get better um, and, and and compete more head to head. I think we'll see more of that. So that's that's what I think we see more of. The SAP uh, platform for for rise and grow, I think, is is something to watch. Um, I would normally hesitate to say new ERP systems aren't going to make a difference for, uh, after a, a year in, but um, you can build a, a client base really fast when you're implementing software between four and thirteen weeks. So, um, really, the idea there is if it. Uh, Building a, a critical mass from a client base perspective is what will uh, I think we'll see that happen quickly with those two platforms. So those are my thoughts. Um, I'm, I'm curious to, uh, for you, what what type of trends are you seeing? Uh, less as it pertains to the top 10 and more as it pertains to the collective investments that they'll make into growing into different spaces of their industry trends that you're seeing that will become bigger. Um, over the next couple of years, whether it's interoperability or AI or, or something like that, or, or what do you think? Yeah, I think that interoperability uh, thing is worth noting. And actually, Kyler had a question on that, too, uh, on LinkedIn. She said, what about interoperability solutions like Snowflake, Palantir Technologies? Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I think 
you know, I think we'll probably see more and more of that too. You know, we talked about the platform movement. We've talked about the low code movement. Obviously we've talked about AI. Another one is, is interoperability. And I think the reason for that is because, you know, so many organizations are so far behind in their, their technical debt that, you know, a lot of these companies are still going from old mainframes. You know, they're still trying to figure out how to get off uh, an old AS400 or I-series mainframe based systems. It's not a lot, you know, it's not a majority of the market, but there's a lot of them out there more than you might think that are still, we're talking about cloud over here and AI and all this stuff. They're still stuck on a green screen mainframe system. So you got all these companies that aren't going to make that shift overnight. They're not going to, you know, overnight jump from mainframe or really old on-prem system to cloud AI driven solution. That's a huge jump for most organizations. So I think the interoperability movement gives you a sort of an interim solution, a way to leverage the technology you have, get more value out of it, um, get a single source of truth, get better analytics and get some benefit and more value while you start to transition more of those back office systems to, to the cloud. So I think that interoperability movement will continue to pick up steam. And that's why Snowflake and Palantir have continued to thrive. I also think there's something going on in the market right now, sort of late in the year. And I don't know if it'll continue into 2024 because I'm not an economist, but there seems to be something with larger enterprises where they seem to be a little bit more cautious right now than they were six, nine, 12 months ago. I feel like ever since COVID, it's just yeah. been go, 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 invest in a bunch of new technologies because we have to, um, we're outdated. The work from home thing put a lot of pressure on our systems. We've got to do these digital transformations. But lately in the last three or six months, it feels like companies are sort of backing up a little bit, catching their breath and saying, wait, hold on, let's be a little bit more selective about how we invest in technology. And I don't know if that's the economy getting weak. I don't know if that's change fatigue. Organizations are just tired of going through all these changes. I don't know. But I think that the, all those trends point to interoperability potentially being you know stronger in 2024. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Adam. Great conversation and awesome uh, engagement and questions and interaction from the audience too. So thank you to everyone who had all the great questions and apologies to those that we didn't get to all your questions. So uh, apologies for that, but th it'll give us some good content and material to dive into in future episodes of this podcast as well. So uh, fear not your, uh, your great comments and thoughts will, will not go to waste here. So um, we're going to uh, take a quick break. When we come back, we'll unpack and uh, debrief on some of the discussion we just had. Uh, but first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. We'll be right back. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 147. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyder Cheatham, and you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So, Kyler, we just had Adam on the show to talk about top ERP systems for 2024. We've been talking about ERP vendors a lot in this episode so far, and we're going to continue to do so in the next segment as well. Uh, but what are your comments and takeaways from that discussion with Adam? Well, I, I think what always strikes me is the amount of shifting that's going on in the marketplace. Like ERP traditionally 
There hasn't been a ton of changes. Of course, there's always new release and functionality and research and development dollars invested into kind of what is the new system, but not only from the technology vendor side, but also from the business side, the amount of shifting that's going into really digital strategy in general and the more kind of purity and unique aspects of your own strategy that you need to understand in order to even start to talk to these vendors. So we, you know, we kind of joke back and forth that that it really does depend, but now it truly does depend. You know, where are you going as a business? As you always say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Those are going to be the fundamental reasons to look at these vendors because you could have the shiniest, coolest, newest AI technology, which you should look for that in a vendor. But unless you have kind of the readiness and the business processes and the strategy in place, there's not going to be any, you know, um, any value out of that investment. So I, I think that piece of it on the business side and the vendor side, the amount of changing and moving and shaking that's going on is pretty unprecedented at this time. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's, um, Anytime you have technological changes and advancements and lower barriers to entry and things of that nature, you, you get new competition, you get new no-name vendors that come out of nowhere and, and sort of you know make a splash in the in the market. And that puts pressure on the incumbents to do more and to move faster and to be more innovative and that sort of thing. So I think it's a very healthy dynamic we're seeing in the market right now for sure. Um, I think as a buyer, it's good news because it gives you a lot of options in the marketplace. The, the bad news is you have a lot of options. You've got to sift through now and you've got to be objective and find the right solution or solutions for you. Um, but that's something that third party tech agnostic providers like third stage consulting uh, can do as, as an advisory firm. Yeah, 100% on that. And and activating that insurance policy and kind of navigating, like it was complicated to navigate before when you had, you know, five core traditional right. vendors. Like you you kind of knew, right, who you were going to choose from a, a shortlist. But now your shortlist has become a very long shortlist. And having someone to kind of coach you through what that looks like from a technology agnostic standpoint that's only dedicated to your business goals, I think is really critical um, to really understanding what that looks like. It's just like our building the house anal analogy of, you know, now you can have smart homes and you need a specialist to really come in there and, and show you how all of those things will work together so that you, your home is highly functional, just as your business is highly functional as well. Um, so understanding that. I will say that this conversation was incredibly complex to uh, to unpack. And I think that's the point, right? To, to showcase the need to really have that deeper level of understanding. But we have a ton of software comparison and selection content on our YouTube channel. So if you feel overwhelmed from that conversation, I feel overwhelmed and I'm in the industry because there's so much great insight there. But going to our YouTube channel, knowing that all of that content is not in any way funded or influenced quite on the contrary by vendors, you have that opportunity to really see that comparison apples to apples. Um, so we do have a software comparison playlist as well as um, a lot of very independent reviews on both our third stage channel and Eric's channel. So if you're looking kind of the next step to that conversation to dig into a system, um, definitely check out those two resources. Yeah. Yeah. Great advice. And uh, we, we try to put as much of that stuff out there for the public to consume and uh, just guide them through their, their evaluations. And certainly, you know, that's meant to be a starting point. And if you need additional assistance or guidance, you can always reach out to us and happy to, even if it's just informally, happy to brainstorm ideas with you on 
what's going to work best for your organization or how you might navigate your digital transformation going forward. So be sure to reach out to us. And my contact information is in the description field below, if you'd ever like to reach out and uh, discuss some of these, these topics in more detail, but um, we're going to continue down this thread though, since we're talking about software vendors and uh, really diving into the marketplace and trends in the market. Uh, and next, I'm excited to play this clip for the audience, which is that in-person clip that you moderated at our digital stratosphere conference, where you had four executives from four different software companies, and you got a chance to ask them a bunch of tech agnostic questions. There was no marketing and sales spin. They got along nice. They didn't get in any, there's no Jerry Springer moments where people were fighting or throwing chairs at one another, anything like that. Um, so great conversation. I'm excited to play it for the audience here. Cage fights. Right. right. Although that would be kind of fun. We'll have to do that sometime, but uh, that's not going to happen today just to set expectations. Uh, but it is a really good discussion. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll play this clip with Kyler moderating this really good discussion with uh, software vendors from IFS at Epicor, Infor, and NetSuite. So be sure to stick around and we'll uh, we'll play that clip. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 147. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyla Cheatham, and you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com, so be sure to check that out. So you can see and listen to all the past episodes that you may have missed. Be sure to check it out, transformationgroundcontrol.com. So excited for our next clip here we're going to play for you. This is uh, Kyler moderating an in-person panel discussion at our Digital Stratosphere Conference, where she asks a bunch of questions about tech trends and just general evolution of the marketplace. And here we have representatives from four different software vendors, um, Infor, IFS, Epicor, and NetSuite. Um, we'll have, they'll introduce themselves here in the clip, so I won't get into who they are. We'll let them do that here in a moment. But with that, let's roll the clip here with Kyler talking to the vendor uh, panel discussion. So these are the experts, the executives up here. So My name is Paul Farrell. I, I head up uh, our sort of uh, industry uh, uh, solutions and strategy for Oracle NetSuite. I've been in ERP for, I used to say over 25 years, now I'm saying over 30 years, and in actual fact, it's probably getting closer to over, over 35 years, which is a bit depressing, but I've done everything within it, some implementing, supporting, developing, marketing, selling, et cetera, and I feel very comfortable with a panel up here before NetSuite, I was with uh, uh, Epicor and headed up their worldwide development. And before that, I was in, uh, ran in product marketing and pre-sales and used to compete with many of the info products, Barn and MoveX and Lawson and Sightline and even Lily, some of those other products and competed a lot with IFS as well. So I feel very comfortable uh, up here amongst friends. So I'm looking forward to any questions. Excellent, welcome Paul. Carrie, we'll go to you. Sure, sure, speaking of amongst friends. So um, 
I used to work at Oracle, um, but I lead product management at Epicor. I've been with Epicor now for six years, um, and I've been in the ERP space for about 20, and within like manufacturing and supply chain management, product lifecycle management. Uh, my team at Epicor, we are focused in on not just the ERP, but also that SaaS transformation, and now working with so many emerging technologies like artificial intelligence, um, business intelligence, and these kinds. Um, and it's wonderful what I do because product management is so fun and that we get to work so closely with customers, understand what it is that they're trying to achieve in their business, and fold that back into the product. So that's me in a nutshell. Excellent. Welcome. Uh, hey, everyone. Kevin Miller. I'm the CTO uh, for IFS. And much like my colleagues up here, <laughs> a, a varied background of both implementation, consulting, product management, and also pre-sales falls under the CTO role at IFS, which is a bit unique. Uh, but again, it gets us very close to the customers and the prospects around outcomes that they're trying to achieve. So very happy to be here. Excellent. And Soma? Yeah, I'm Soma. Um, Nobody calls me with my last name, <laughs> the tongue twister. So I'm the president and CTO at uh, Infor. Uh, Infor is a, a cloud-based software company headquartered out of uh, New York. My claim to fame is I'm actually employee number one with Infor. Um, so I wrote an ERP product, which, which eventually became Infor. So I've been with the company for as long as Infor existed, but in the industry for, I can't even believe it, it's uh, just over 40 years. <laughs> Um, so I've always lived in this uh, software world, mostly in ERP, financial supply chain. And um, I have, so under my role, I have uh, R&D, product management, pre-sales, uh, customer success, support, and education and enablement within, uh, within the company. So happy to be here. Uh, glad to be you know, talking to you all. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming. Um, we have a wealth of knowledge here, so I, I'm going to ask some questions to start. Definitely, I'll direct it to one of you. You can go ahead and chime in if you have more to add on, but highly recommend kind of milling over some questions that you guys have as well. Um, so the first question I want to ask you, and, and I'm actually going to go to you, Carrie, to start. We'll start in the middle. But with the, the rise of emerging technology solutions, we've talked a lot about Industry 4.0. We've talked a lot about smart manufacturing, AI today. What does that really look like for technologies and systems kind of in that next generation of ERP solutions? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, this is, I'm very excited about this topic. Um, I do think AI is going to have an incredibly fundamental, profound change on not just us as professionals and technologists, but also just people in the world and the way we interact with each other. Um, it's, it's pretty remarkable. I was actually just chatting with um, what somebody on my team who was saying that her daughter is a teenager and uh, used ChatGPT to write a very compelling reason as to why she should go stay out late into a, with a movie and how could she say no to that? <laughs> you know? So it's just re pretty remarkable the way to see how much this is changing and affecting all of us. Um, I think that will absolutely bleed over into the way in which we expect to interact with technology. ERP is no different but it will continue to change and be so seamless that we won't even really notice or realize that AI is uh, helping to manage some of the connectivity behind the scenes, helping to serve up some of the insights um, that, that we get in the screens within our ERP or within our, you know, any other application that we're using within our business. Um, it will become so seamless and so easy to use uh, just the way in which we access information from the cloud and might not realize it. 
Absolutely, and and maybe to you, Soma, um, in in the CTO role and president, when you're when you're looking at implementing these emerging technologies, what are some main considerations that you really need to understand before undergoing um, an AI transformation or any sort of emerging tech in your technology stack? Are you you're talking more about us as a software company or as as a customer? I would say. As a software company, let's go with that, that lens, if that yeah. works for you. Yeah, definitely. That's where I live. Um, so, you know, when you, when you look at ERP, ERP was basically invented to really digitize business processes in the, in the early days, right? So if you fast forward to, to 2023, really, you know, we do not want human beings to be touching the keyboard, doing things when their real job, if I hire a nurse, the nurse's job is to really go um, take care of patients, not really interact with the system. So the whole idea of emerging technologies is either to completely automate so that the user can actually do their day job. If you cannot do that, give them insights so that they can do their job quicker, mm -hmm. right? So, so that, that's how you, you use data to drive innovation. And, and three, if, if you have to have a user experience, have that user experience be much more productive. Like for example, if I can order a pizza at home uh, talking to Alexa, why can't I do that at, at work, right? So- I don't know, that is an age so, old question. So <laughs> it, it is, it, it's just using these emerging technologies to really make the job of a real user do their function in their persona in, the, in that company versus having to learn technology. Somebody earlier asked about you know, do I continue to do training, mm -hmm. right? So I haven't downloaded an app on my phone that came with the manual. So why would I have to, to, to train myself to enter a purchase order? So I, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So mm -hmm. I think the emerging tech, we are not there yet. Mm -hmm. None of us are at that spot yet. But I think with the emerging technologies, we can get there. Mm -hmm. Make it really intuitive so that the user can really enjoy doing what they do. Absolutely, um, and and with those user um, interface upgrades or that more intuitive kind of living, breathing system, Paul, I'd love to hear kind of your experience in being in the industry. What are some evolutions that you've seen in focusing on that customer-centric business strategy in maybe the last three to five years? So, I, mean, I think evolution is a great term because technology is gonna drive evolution. When we look at it from a distance, it sometimes seems like revolution, but it is evolution and some things that we no longer do, we just, you know, we just take for granted. But you know, I, I think, interestingly enough, back to the, the previous panel, you know, if I look at philosophically how we look at software today, certainly within Oracle NetSuite, the, the philosophy is all about activation of functionality rather than implementation. So if someone knows how to enter it, knows what an invoice is and how, how to enter it, or someone knows how to reconcile something, or someone knows how to, to book time, if it requires a complex implementation to do that, then I don't believe the software's been written well enough. Now, that, that's not, we're, we're always gonna require implementation. If you look at new technologies, what they've done is they've made complex things more and more simple. So what's easy to use, that, bar that, that barrier has risen. And, and, and again, our whole philosophy is consumption. And one of the things that the cloud, and certainly consumers dealing with the cloud, is, is making things consumable. The most successful products out there are products that you can pick up and use. 
And in enterprise technology, that has been evolving for years. I remember a few years ago, a friend of mine bought a business that had a lot of old, old technologies, and uh, he sort of bought it up for maintenance. Uh, uh, the maintenance stream was still very good. But he had to go and install Netware, if anyone remembers Novell Netware. And he made a mistake, so he went to uninstall it. Couldn't do it. It took forever to do it. And we just assumed that. We install something, it doesn't work, we can just get rid of it, and the whole, everything disappears from it. And I think that's the whole thing with enterprise software, is getting to this more consumable state that we as users who interact with technology every day, and it came up, you know, uh, as people said, is why can I do that in my, uh, 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 ER, my ERP system? And we have a real focus around that. When we look at intelligence and we look at these other technologies, it's all going to be around uh, consumption. And I think sometimes with technologists, we have, you know, we sometimes make a mistake of building the, the most awesome dream of how technology is going to do absolutely everything for us, rather than really show these simple, small things that make a big difference in how our users are going to consume the software. And I think that's the biggest thing over the last couple of years is this consumption of, uh, of the solution being done at a, a far higher rate. And as I said, moving away from implementation as a focus to activation. And uh, we'll eventually get there in 100 years, but that's definitely, <laughs> that's definitely the focus. And, and, and it changes everything that you do from the way you sell the product, the way that you derive services, the way that you implement it, and more importantly, coming back to something that was said earlier, the way that you constantly optimize it, mm -hmm. how new features are consumed by the customer is vital for them to be vibrant because a lot of the time people only want a feature when they want it, even though it might be in there 10 years and think, oh, I need this new feature, they don't realize it's there. So this continuous consumption is vital for companies to remain vibrant. And we've seen a big change in that over the last few years, very, very subtly. But when we look back at how products were in the past and how, they're gonna, how they are today, we're going to see that change and it's going to accelerate even more over the next few years, I think. Absolutely. Excellent answer. I love that, um, you know, overall concept of activation, you know, within the business and within the enterprise, making it more of a living, breathing thing. So it was touched on, Kevin, when in our previous panel, talking about the evolution of core ERP systems, looking at more best of breed solutions. How, that, how does that affect your industry? And what do you, what conversation does that look like for IFS or, or any other, you know, kind of or traditional ERP vendor? I think, and that's a great question, by the way, because I think everyone in this room is looking really for um, a frictionless journey to value, mm -hmm. right? How, how quickly can we get there? And as software vendors, we have to realize we need to play well with others. And if we don't have the best of breed in our product, we have to make sure that we can easily connect to another best of breed product that does that. And one of the comments made earlier was around this evolution of, of open APIs to make mm -hmm. that connection easier. And I think at the end of the day, we have to be prepared to support whatever a customer wants mm -hmm. in that journey. And if we're not doing all we can to be there and to support that and to make it easy, um, we're going to be left behind. Absolutely. And when you talk about best of breed solutions, we kind of look at them as kind of siloed systems. And then we talk about the concept of interoperability or kind of crossing between them. Actually, Greg Benton, I steal this from him, so I have to give him credit because he's here. You know, <laughs> our chief strategy officer here at Third Stage, he talks about a best for you approach as opposed to best of breed. So when we look at things like interoperability and digital enterprise operation, and I'm kind of going to ask Soma and then I'm going to go to you, Carrie. What does that look like for the future of systems when it comes to an interoperability strategy specifically? 
I, I believe there are three ingredients that drive digital transformation, you know, as a foundation. One is um, what already was mentioned is APIs. Mm -hmm. The rich library of APIs available through a single gateway allows for flexible, you know, business transformation, right? So you're not going to have technology as a, as a barrier to get, get whatever you need to do in your business. The second is access to data, right? So ERP system is one piece of the puzzle uh, at any given organization. That's not the whole uh, landscape. So how do you get access to data in a holistic fashion that can drive innovation, whether it's AI, ML, or um, RPA, any of those uh, initiatives mm -hmm. to drive more efficiency requires access to data. That's kind of the second ingredient. The third is obviously security, right? Can I get access to these APIs and get access to this data to drive that, you know, whatever the initiative is, in a secure manner? So if I have those three ingredients, I, I really believe that anything you can come up with, whether it's AI ML driven or RPA driven or Gen AI, any of those things will require those three ingredients to drive the transformation you need to drive. That's a really excellent, really kind of holistic point of view. What about for Epicor, Carrie? What does that look like for your future? Yeah, well, I, I think it's a great uh, discussion point. We like to call it being a good digital citizen, you know, because you really need to ensure that your system um, is able to work well with others, you know. So it is about having that kind of integration uh, services that are available. But it's not only the technology layer, those open APIs, integration platform as a service, other types of data streaming technologies. It's also about how easy is it to build those integrations? You know, when you have the types of administrators in your business or your everyday users and they need something from another system, how do you make that possible for them? How do they know when something happens in this system, then something has to happen in that system, and then that data gets transferred back to this one. And when you unlock those kinds of easy to use experiences and building these integrations, then you really get that power of the data that's flowing among the different systems, and you can create a powerful competitive advantage for your business. Yeah, absolutely. Love, love the data flow um, analogy when it comes to that. So thank you for that insight. We're here listening in on a clip of Kyler moderating a vendor panel discussion talking about trends in the marketplace. We've got a lot more to cover, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. When I go out. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management, or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you or in the links below for this particular podcast episode. You can find a link to uh, take you to the page that will allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the Guide to Organizational Change Management uh, written by yours truly. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode.
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 147. My name is Eric Kimberling with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And this is the podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation. So thank you for joining here today. So we're in the midst of a conversation here, a vendor panel discussion uh, between Kyler and four different software vendors. Let's jump back into the conversation. So I want to turn to the audience. I've asked some questions. I want to see if you have any questions for our panel before I kind of go on with talking about the evolution. So we have a live mic over here. Any questions that you'd like to pose to our panel? Yeah. Greg, right up front. I speak loud enough, right? <laughs> yeah, the mic helps our, our digital audience hear it. So that's why we're like force micing you. So perfect, the, the guys perfect, online. perfect. First of all, thank you all for joining on the panel. I mean, this is a great opportunity to speak to each of you with your different technologies and, and understanding of the marketplace. But we've all been talking about time to value and the things that you all are doing in order to increase that time to value or, or decrease that time to value, actually. Um, if you could answer, and this is for any of you, uh, how you are turning on functionality that leads to that uh, immediate time to value in terms of getting something done, uh, changing a process, implementing new um, functionality that's coming with the, uh, the access through the multi-tenant environment, especially. Uh, marketplaces are becoming something that, uh, that you've got available to your, to your customers. If you could address that, it's for any of you. Yep, Great question. So um, there, there are multiple things that kind of fall under time to value. How do you deliver time to value? One is having lived in the, in, the, in the ERP world 20 years ago, everyone customized um, you know, beyond recognition from the software leaving the, uh, you know, the R&D shop. So once that happens, you, you, anything you want to do, it's counter to time to value. So how do, you, how do you solve that? So having functionality that is purpose-built for some you know, industry that you're serving that drives customizations down, mm -hmm. that is time to value. Two, delivering capability that already multiple folks have talked about, that is interoperable, that you can live in the customer's ecosystem rather than the customer living in your ecosystem, the vendor's ecosystem, that drives time to value. Three, have, you know, in a multi-tenant world, you have access to industry data across many customers, take food and beverage or, or any industry um, you, you pick, you have data across many, many customers. So leveraging that data to drive best practices back to the customer and pro provide process efficiencies, like process mining is something that is emerging, right? Why can't we build that into the system if I can already see how the system, how the system is being used by customers? So these are all that I don't want to exhaust because the other people can answer, but those are things, ingredients that you can have to drive you know, better time to value. Absolutely. Any any additions over yeah, here? I, I would say, I mean, the, the product's a, a key element for time to value and, and making sure you've got the functionality, the workflows, the analytics, and the other things. But our approach has been uh, to, to really optimize the process right from the very selling stage, marketing and selling, all the way through the sales process, all the way through to the implementation, and then uh, the, the continuous optimization of functionality. So what I mean by that is our approach in sales is leading practices by industry. So right up front before people see the software, 
they go through the leading practices for their industry and their size of business, and they say, this is what the best companies in, the, in this industry uh, do. And if there are holes in that, it's known right up, the, uh, up front that that's the case. And then when services get involved during that sales cycle, they understand exactly how the product is being presented to the customer. They understand the holes of it. So at every stage, value is added. You're not going through the sales cycle where the customer sees X, and then there's the implementation where they plan the implementation. Then you get the software loaded and it's blank, and then the consultants who weren't a part of the sales cycle, then they start implementing it. Everything adds value at each stage. So the product is key in the flexibility and the ability to handle a particular industry, but it has to be something that's weaved all through the, uh, the, uh, the organization. And getting back to this, this sort of consumption side, and you, you mentioned it very well, one of the things that we're doing is when customers have their KPIs and their, their benchmarks for their industry and their size of business, we are actually using machine learning and AI to understand how the 37,000 other customers who are on our cloud, all on the same version, same release, how they're using the software. And it's learning how those people that have improved their benchmarks or are best in class, how they're using the product. And then it takes people through, it, it, it tells people how they can utilize that feature or that function and how it fits within their business. So it needs to be something that is completely continuous throughout the, the organization. And that's how we're gonna get from that sort of implementation to activation. It has to start from the very first way that the product's marketed, sold, uh, 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 impl uh, the implementation planning, and then the, the onward optimization. Can I? Ask? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, Excellent. everybody. All right. Yes. <laughs> All right. So this this is um, very important to us. So uh, just as an example as to one of the things that um, Epicor has done, I think first first you want to identify what is the value to you. What is the value that you need to achieve? And that would be different depending on the different types of applications perhaps you're investing in. If it's an e-commerce tool, an example would be the the moment you generate some online revenue, right? You capture that online revenue. Um, for ERP or you know other you know these kinds of data intensive applications, it would be the moment you get that insight into your business. Um, so something very tangible that Epicor has done: we recently acquired a company called Grow Business Intelligence. It has an average time to value of 45 days, meaning you you know connect data, build charts, and then that first metric, your user understands how to use it. 45 days, they get insight into their business, and that's something we've just started to include within our um, application. Uh, with with the with a SaaS sale, so just an example of some of the ways in which we're trying to get mm -hmm. very fast when it comes to providing that value. Absolutely. And I I just finish up by saying I think in enterprise software you've seen the advent of tools like industry accelerators now being included in the product or uh, business process automation tools that allow you to really configure and tailor without coding um, in a low code no code tool that's built into the UI of the product. Uh, rather than having to code something outside. I think IFS is a little different than, than my colleagues in that we're still single tenant, primarily because our customers demand it, um, ideally around aerospace and defense and, and some areas like that. They still want to have control over when those updates are applied and installed. But I think those three main tools that you see are, are what's driving a lot of that too. Absolutely. Fantastic insight and great question. Any other questions before we move on a little bit? 
All right, well, let's keep moving. So when we talk about kind of the evolution, we, we touched a little bit on kind of the functionalities, best of breed, how the, the industry's moving. I wonder what your thoughts are on those kind of movement towards the low code or no code software and how you kind of recommend that or have that conversation with your customers in the, in the industry. And, and um, you know, let's start with Kevin. Sure, yeah, and I think Soma's comment earlier is, is very relevant to this because if I look back even three years ago, um, certain things were customizations and that mm -hmm. would version lock you and it would go through a whole series of having to recode that and uplift it and, and that, that's a nightmare, quite frankly. So now with these configuration tools, these low code, no code, I can develop not only user-defined fields, but entire screens, new logic, tie that into the business process automation tool um, and that goes right along for the ride with any updates that are installed to the product. So I think it's crucial. I think all of us have that ability today yeah. and, and most leaders do uh, because it, you don't want to get stuck in that customization. Absolutely. Trench. And there's a balance, right, between customization yeah. and a totally open source system. So what are some considerations or even risks, Soma, when you're looking at like a full open source or a low code on no code on your front lines that you really need to understand and manage too? We talked a little bit about training, but what does that look like as far as strategic process? Yeah, what, what, you know, one of the things that uh, I agree with this comment that, you know, you want to have the ability for customers to modify to the extent that that, that is their secret sauce mm -hmm. in terms of their business differentiation that, that, that drives value for, for the customer. So you need the ability for the customer to do that, but you want to be able to do that in a governed way, right? Like, so mm -hmm. if, it, if it is not in a multi-tenant system, there is no such thing called customization, mm -hmm. right? It has to live in an upgradable, um, upgrade-friendly way, right? So, so it has to be done in an ex extensibility uh, fashion. And when you do that, you, if you if you go build, you know, a thousand extensions to the to the core product that was delivered in the cloud, then again you have kind of defeated the purpose of having a solution that that is. Standard, easy to move, easy to continue to uh, uh, you know consume. Mm -hmm. To Paul's point, new new innovations that come along. If you're not able to consume, the you, you have kind of lost the value of being in a multi-tenant um, environment. So while low code, no code, and I believe we can talk about it too. Mm -hmm. I do believe that Gen AI is mm -hmm. going to change the low low code, no code uh, really? in a much much more uh, easier way to accomplish what you need to accomplish. But all of that need to be done with governance, mm -hmm. both from the vendor side yeah. to make sure it is secure and, and it's going to be upgrade friendly and, and um, high performant and from the customer side. Exactly. And that takes me to my next question. Paul, I, I kind of want to expand on something that you said when it came to understanding where the processes kind of marry with the system. So we have a lot of people in this room and just our overall network community that are either considering um, selecting a new software or just evaluating kind of what is their current state and what does that look like? What would your advice be to them that they can do internally before they consider a new system and build out those requirements? Yeah, I, I think that I think there's a number of things. I, I just want to address something from oh, the, sure. the, yeah. the, the, um, the, the, the previous round of questions. One of the things that I will say where we are in the technology sphere today, we're in a situation where best practice is lagging behind technology. Mm -hmm. and, and I think you mentioned about these certified industries where every single change has to be certified and you, you, 
you can't uh, upgrade. I mean, that, that's best practice, and it's there to make sure that, you know, a plane doesn't drop out of the sky, et cetera, because of the ERP systems, incorrect. But that is lagging behind, um, behind uh, uh, what technology enables, and that's why we, so many industries have been disrupted, and large companies have been disrupted by small, because they're working towards best practice, but technology is vastly outstripping mm -hmm. what best practice supports. Which is, which is gonna be interesting. And also that comes down to the customization as well. Mm -hmm. I would say again, if you can't do massive customization and then you're version locked in doing it, that's a whole design issue with the way that the, the platform's created. Mm -hmm. And so again, all of these things are being, uh, are being improved, but again, the best practice, don't customize anything because it's gonna make it easier to upgrade. Again, is, is a laggard idea based on uh, where technology was 10 years ago. So that, that's, a, that's a real, that, that's a, a real uh, issue that's uh, out there. As far as what people should think about, we're in such a changing world today in, in what a company needs to uh, uh, use in order to stay vibrant and to compete. That it is very, it, it's a, an ERP decision is very difficult because you're gonna have this for the next 10 years hopefully for the, for the entire span of the, the company. And the reason people swap them out is because they've stopped being fit for purpose or they can't handle new business models or the way that we're doing business. And I think this is key when you're looking at a new solution and how you need to think about things. And I just look at manufacturing. If you look at manufacturers from 10 years ago, you, you make a product, you generally go through a distribution channel who add more value and then sell it to, your, you sell it to the consumer. We've seen recently with new technologies, manufacturers opening channels directly to the consumer, still going through a distribution channel as well, which puts more pressure on them. And we've also seen many manufacturers realize that their skill isn't in manufacturing. It's in marketing and design and all these other things, and they start to outsource it. So if you buy a system that does best-in-class manufacturing, it's all about manufacturing execution or lean processes on the shop floor, and then that starts to outsource, you could be left with a solution that's not gonna keep up. So I, I think it's vital these days to, to look at the marketplace, see where things are going, and making sure that you're gonna have a solution that's gonna be able to evolve based on the way, that, the way that you sell and the way that you interact. And just one final example on that, you think most companies are, are trying to drive recurring revenue models because they get higher valuations and it's, more, it's easier to predict future uh, revenue. Now, moving from a transactional model to a recurring revenue model, it, there's all sorts of financial implications on RevRec and how you bill and all these other things. And again, if you're not thinking about how the business and how your industry is going to evolve, you might end up spending a huge amount of money buying a solution that actually holds you back and doesn't give you that flexibility if you're just looking for it on what it's going to do for you in the very short term. That's excellent. Definitely a, a lot of advice in there. Um, that's, I always call it with Eric, that's a watch back. So rewind that and watch, watch it back a few times because there's a, a bunch of nuggets in there. We're here listening in on a clip of Kyler moderating a vendor panel discussion talking about trends in the marketplace. We've got a lot more to cover, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Hi, my name is Eric Kimberling. I'm your host here on Transformation Ground Control. And if you haven't already, I want to invite you to buy my new book. It's called The Final Countdown, Strategies to Reach the Third Stage of Digital Transformation. It's my first book. I'm very proud of it. I love this book, and it, it was my attempt 
to create a summary and a playbook for what it takes to be successful in defining a digital strategy and a roadmap for your organization. So there's a lot of things we can cover when we talk about digital transformation. We talk about a lot of stuff on this show, but I wanted to condense it into a readable sort of a sequential format that made it easy to help define a digital strategy for project teams that is unique to your organization, unique to your goals and objectives. So really uh, hope you'll you'll read it. I hope you enjoy it. Again, it's called The Final Countdown. You can read that book by scanning the QR code right here in front of you, or you can go to thefinalcountdown.com. Um, again, it's it's been an Amazon bestseller since it came out, so I encourage uh, you to check it out and love to hear your views and your comments on it too. So The Final Countdown, my new book, you can go to thefinalcountdown.com or scan the QR code in front of you. Hope you enjoy, and we'll see you soon. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 147. My name is Eric Kimberling with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And this is the podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation. So thank you for joining here today. So we're in the midst of a conversation here, a vendor panel discussion uh, between Kyler and four different software vendors. Let's jump back into the conversation. But Carrie, I'm, I'm curious when it comes to kind of even migrating from an on-prem solution to a cloud-based solution is still something that's very real for a lot of businesses. Even though the cloud has been around for a while, it takes a while to not only secure capital for that investment, but ensure your organization is ready. What are some um, considerations that you would give to businesses that are looking at their legacy on-prem model and being like, oh, we, we, we got to move, but we're not quite sure how? Yeah, the, great question. And I know that this is absolutely a discussion that continues to happen. Um, I think these were uh, great comments made uh, because one of the things that's important to really consider is, of course, your business, the industry that you're in, the compliance regulations that you have to uh, uh, comply with. Um, and that could potentially dictate not just moving to cloud, but what type of cloud because right, there are so many options out there in the industry, and I definitely encourage you to uh, do that research, right? Because you have the single tenant, you have the dedicated tenant, which is like dedicated databases, but still some shared architecture. You have the multi-tenant, which is really truly the, the, the shared architecture. But then you have the different types of data centers where it would be hosted, right? So if you are a highly regulated type of organization within aerospace and defense, you would likely need the special US government uh, regulated type of ITAR or you know CMMC type of, of uh, data centers. And they're all different types and then they would have different types of configurations that are possible. So it's very important that you think through the compliance regulations in your business, um, the, the outcomes that you expect and the types of functionality that you need for your organization, and then work with the vendors that provide that type of support for your business. And then there are so many other types of, you know, moving from on-prem to cloud to really keep in mind as well. Certainly security, um, the, the benefits of, of having multiple layers of data protection in the cloud, uh, multi-factor authentication, of course, um, but then things like just separating it from uh, where email servers, right, are so susceptible to phishing attacks and where the majority of um, you know, cyber criminals can infiltrate an organization. So having multiple layers, disaster recovery, backups, you know, and a, and a vendor that really understands and, and provides and is open to you about the types of controls that are in place, all very important considerations when moving to cloud. Absolutely. Great answer. Another watch back. We're, we should all just watch this back multiple times. But Kind of moving from, obviously all of you are, are system technical executives. 
But when it comes to the culture of the organization or really the people side, we talked about technology, we talked about process. Let's talk a little bit about people. And, and Kevin, I'll start with you. How important are cultural uh, strategies such as organizational change or ensuring that that really matches the system? What's kind of that balance look like? Yeah, I, I think that's extremely important because not just from a technology fit, but also from a cultural fit, what kind of institutional knowledge does that vendor provide? What type of experience do they have in your industry? Uh, what type of customer references do they have in that industry? Do they have folks with high turnover that might not have that institutional knowledge that follows uh, that level of experience all the way through the organization? So I know much like these vendors, I'm sure you can do visits or to customer experience centers if you want to go see technology examples in, mm -hmm. the, in the vendor's offices and see what that culture looks like in terms of support that's provided. Also partner networks, right? A lot of opinions exist today around, do I go partner, do I go direct? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's why you folks are here to help guide that solution because it is a culture and a people fit beyond anything. And that's really the same as it always has been for 40 years, right? It's people by people at the end of the day. And do you have the trust in that team to deliver the outcomes that you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even going further from just like the core team network, which it, again is so important to have that balance in so many different voices. So how do you ensure that your culture as an enterprise, how do you coach your customers to be ready for a digital transformation? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, as, as Kevin touched, I mean, change management, working with the customer. I mean, in an earlier conversation, I think Eric or somebody said, um, you know, setting the goal up front. Mm -hmm. What are you trying to accomplish mm -hmm. by, by this, you know, change? Just going from on-premise to cloud or switching out one solution to another, it's, it's not really fun exercise, right? Like, what, mm -hmm. what is it that you're trying to accomplish in terms of business outcomes? And then work your way back from there to accomplish that business outcome. What kind of tools and processes you need to get there? Mm -hmm. And and do you do you know your five-year you know long-term plan and what your business is going to look like? Does the the system that you're looking at have the flexibility to to live with you and and allow you to grow? I mean, it's a it's a complex topic. So working through that to make sure that you have alignment on the tools alignment on, on your strategy, alignment on the culture of the vendor organization and the customer, right? Mm -hmm. So any of these cloud systems that you go to, uh, I think Paul said it, you're, you're gonna live with that relationship for yeah. 10 years or more. Yeah. So you, you need to have that alignment that is this vendor going to be close to, to, to your organization to help you stand side by side to help you grow as you grow. Yeah. Like it has to be mutual benefit, right? Mm -hmm. Otherwise, this, this doesn't work. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th that overall partnership. And, and what does partnership mean? What does that word mean? We kind of deconstruct that relationship to secure that alignment. And Paul, you had talked about kind of the optimization. And I'm wondering, when we go through, say we selected the software, we went through implementation, we kind of managed the people through that, we went live had a party, and then all of a sudden we, we have to optimize. And we didn't quite think through kind of the people side of things like user adoption, training. What would you say to customers that are kind of lacking on the optimization side? What are some strategies that they can implement to ensure that they're getting the most return on their investment for technology? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think optimization is, 
our, our, our entire uh, process, we, we call this sweet success, is, is uh, what we do. And it's about building and selling and everything. But one of the, the big pillars is optimization. And, and, and the, an, a vital part of that is just how people are going to further consume the software. And, and that is in the DNA of our company. We've been at this at our 25th year and always been a cloud company. And every single one of our 37,000 customers on exactly the same release service pack and patch of the software. And virtually all of them customize and personalize the software in some way mm -hmm. that they want. And the way that we keep them on that is we allow them to continually optimize. Mm -hmm. So that customer that bought 25 years ago is getting the same return on investment that today that they got back then. So the money they spent then, they were on the latest version of the product. But there's so many companies out there that it's only a tiny portion of people that get in the latest version of the product. Mm -hmm. All these other people are paying money, but they're not, they're not getting a return on investment. So that is just philosophically through our organization. So within that is this whole thing about you always thinking about how you're going to take on new capability and how you're going to roll that out more to the, to the customer. And it's all about success and it's all about concentrating on value. I love to hear people talking about value and sort of old lean guy and I love the Toyota production system and the way that we focused on value. And, and, and it's as relevant today as it was back mm -hmm. then, but it's all about how you're going to continually take account of uh, new things that come out there. Now for years, I'd say 30 years, I've worked in ERP and dealing with uh, uh, customers always on the vendor side. And it's amazing, almost every customer event I go to uh, where people say, we want this in the product. I would say 95% of the things people request are in the product. Mm -hmm. Because they're not think because they went live, implemented it, and didn't think about that, yeah. uh, didn't go and look at the release notes. And anyone out there, incidentally, if anyone can work out a way that we can get people to read release notes and read what's coming in the product in a most effective way, tell me. Because if you tried absolutely everything. And because the, the thing is, people only want something new when they want something new. And it's only at that time it becomes important. So we put a lot of time and effort so that people can discover what's mm -hmm. needed. And as I said, when someone's in the application and they're doing something, I'll give you a small example. When someone is going and running a query and it takes more than 30 seconds, we'll tell them, you know something? This would be instantaneous if you move this query to the, the BI system. So why don't you move that to the BI system where it's cached and it does all the, the clever things so it's instantaneous. And it's things like that, and again, using intelligence to, to help people optimize and consume more of the product. And more importantly, and I'm mm -hmm. sorry, I'm whispering on here. Oh, no, no. More, more importantly, again, getting to that consumer side, the way that you make that effective is you let the person know who uses the product every day, uses that particular area, know that this new feature comes through. Because a lot of the time, the, the new features, the release notes, it's the admin people or it's the IT people that read it, and they'll decide whether it's important or not for the end user. So again, in this next generation of technology, it's how the technology lets the AR clerk or the, the planner or the, the, the warehouse manager know that this new features, and, and this is the way it's going to improve what you're doing now. And that's where I, I think a lot of the newer technology coming through is going to help substantially this continuous optimization. Oh, of course, absolutely. So I couldn't agree more with what Paul said. So this, this, is, um, this is a huge challenge in a, mm -hmm. in a cloud uh, environment. We at Infor, we keep adding new features every six months. Actually, initially, we were adding every month, which was too hard for customers to keep up with. Mm -hmm. So every six months, we, we basically open up, here are new features. But still, 
customers and the users, you got to be targeting the end user. Like the ERP of the, the uh, you know, last era was much more geared towards power users. Mm -hmm. There's a few people, they, they spend all day learning about the ERP and it worked quite okay because they understand uh, what they need to do. But now you're targeting the real end user. Then they need to be enabled and they need to be able to to turn on features mm -hmm. that they're not even aware of. So how do you get that to uh, awareness to the user? That drives a lot more adoption. And adoption is is the is the is the name of the game in in cloud. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, adoption is the name of the game in in life, right? Right. So that that absolutely is true. So we're here listening in on a clip of. Kyler moderating a vendor panel discussion talking about trends in the marketplace. We've got a lot more to cover, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 147. My name is Eric Kimberling with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And this is the podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation. So thank you for joining here today. So we're in the midst of a conversation here, a vendor panel discussion uh, between Kyler and four different software vendors. Let's jump back into the conversation. So Carrie, you kind of touched on what, you know, Paul and Soma are, are talking about when I asked you the question about AI, like there, there may be tools that makes this more efficient in kind of uh, either communicating or pushing these upgrades or, or showcasing that, that awareness. How can the business be a good partner to you guys and making sure that they, you know, cultivate a mindset of awareness around those new functionalities so they're not making those call, hey, can, can you do this or can I do this? And making sure and empowering them to actually yeah. source that information themselves. Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, something that I've seen work really well is you should go to your vendors and ask them to meet with you on a regular basis to talk with your leaders about what's new in the business. And this should be included. You know, this shouldn't be like a, a special fee. This should be kind of like a health check. We call them value exchange workshops. It's a great opportunity to kind of go back, double check. What were those original business outcomes? Did we achieve that time to value that we expected? And then you can kind of have a, a discussion around what needs to change, you know, why hasn't why haven't you achieved whatever it is that you need to achieve? And again, that's a great opportunity to come together on a regular basis to have those kinds of discussions mm -hmm. with the business. Absolutely. And, you know, to, to learn more, what is opportunities or to actually activate on that partnership? I have a challenge. Please be my partner and help me solve it. And that, you know, that I think that's really the most beautiful evolution that we've seen when it comes to kind of vendor customer relations. So I'm asking all the questions as I typically do. So what questions do you guys have in the last couple minutes here that we can ask this amazing panel? It's such an amazing opportunity to have them in the room. So I want to make sure that we're addressing and answering any questions that you have. 
We got a mic coming over. There seems to be something of a consensus from different presentations today that any implementation time frame shorter than 12 months is not at all realistic. Um, any thoughts from any of you about ways that implementation time frames could be shortened? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't agree with that at all. I, I feel as though I'm in the last panel now and I just have to say <laughs> Good for you. I, I, I think our, our philosophy in growing our business is we call it land and expand. And that is to implement the, the most impactful value as quickly as possible. I mean, one of the things that ERP has suffered from for many years is selling future value. Buy all of this stuff, go and implement it for two years and you get all of this value. And then people get tired or whatever else. Our whole philosophy is getting people live in under 100 days. And that is our average. That is, that is not a made up stat, that is average. But it might be financials plus, getting that first pillar done and implemented. Now with a lot of companies, that might not be their, their goal. They might want something else. But it's about getting that value straight away. So you're spending less upfront. You're immediately seeing the value. And no one has any issue paying for value. We all do. Well, we have an issue is paying for the promise of value and never, never getting that. So I, I fundamentally disagree that um, it's under 12 months. Now, I'm looking at it through a software vendor's lens, okay? So what I mean by that is I'm thinking about by the time you sign the contract to when you're going live. And an implementation starts before that uh, in planning and selecting the right vendors and building that knowledge. Uh, so I know that it's not accurate. So that's what I'm uh, 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 talking about. So I, I think that this is focus on value. Everyone's seeing the value and everyone then gets bought in and they're excited about implementing the next stage rather than the opposite, which has happened historically with ERP where people get fatigued. We're not doing phase two for the next few years because we're done because we've spent that long. Mm -hmm. So that and, and we, we have been myopically focused on that for about the last seven to 10 years. And we're always looking at ways of improving that. Technology's helping, philosophy's helping, process is helping doing that. But uh, I, I, I uh, fundamentally disagree that anything less than 12 months is- I, I, I would agree with your comment. And we, you know, on an average, if anything goes over a year, that's way too long in, in the cloud world, right? You have to be able to define, you cannot, go live with everything to Paul's point, but you define what is of most value that has the least risk and then prioritize that first. And you should be able to do that. The vendor and the, the customer should be able to work together to stage that implementation in such a way that you start to realize value in a much shorter time frame than you know, 12 months or more. And we, we see the same thing. I mean, I, we, we haven't done quite a hundred day implementations a lot, but, uh, but nine months or less, I've seen a lot of those implementations where people start to see value in the cloud. Yeah, it can be a phased approach. You know, I love that discussion earlier um, with Agile versus Waterfall, but it can be phased. I think that's what we're talking about, where it's like focus in on that value. Maybe it's not the full ERP portfolio. Maybe it's a portion of it. Just like I mentioned that business intelligence tool, you know, that's a quick add-on. You have other things in your business you can connect, you know, bring in data. There are these kinds of applications across our portfolios, right, where you could focus in first 
get moving fast. And then you have that quick win and your team is excited. That's a great point. You know, having that overall, um, you know, psych psychological approach, mm -hmm. industrial psychology layered into it too. So you're able to have, you know, that, that kind of win. Kevin, you got to go. Yeah, we, we call those little wins, right? Yeah. And I would just take advantage of your advisors, your consultants around industry best practices or all that prep work that can happen before a project begins. Because as the previous uh, panel noted, that work either has to happen before go live or it happens after go live. And it's much better to do it before go live um, or else you have real risk to the business that, that you're trying to clean things up or all of a sudden address things that are, that are real risk uh, items that could be detrimental to the business. So take advantage of those. They're good consulting practices will help you, you know, align that much more quickly. Yeah, we call that actually our phase zero checklist. So before we even go have a vendor conversation, Greg and team will actually take our clients through a phase zero checklist because implementation, again, deconstructing that, when is it activation? When is it optimization? That's what we look for. And shameless plug, you can download that for, download that for free on our website. So just so you know, it is, it is available. So we have time for one more question. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> Given the rise of, uni of unified namespace, do any of you have on your product roadmaps uh, MQTT connectivity pub-sub type of a model moving data back and forth from the ERP to the unified namespace? So I'll just make a comment. I'll start. Um, IFS's managed cloud is based on Azure. Um, I'm, I'm going to Microsoft in a couple of weeks for um, a bit of a retreat related to what was discussed earlier. So um, I can't speak to it now, but I would, I would suspect that there's a strong movement towards that space with what's being released early next year by Microsoft. Breadcrumbs, we call that. <laughs> Great question. We had a few more in, in the back here, so I'm a sucker for the audience. So you guys know we'll do, we'll do a few more, and then our, our panel does have to, to get to their travel plans. So. So uh, this is not uh, basically a question. It's more of a, so how can you basically generalize that, you know, 12 months time frame? Because we have wide variety of industries with different uh, maturity levels and everything. Because my experience says that for, uh, in one of the implementation, we were given 12 months, uh, but the first six months went to data collection itself because the data wasn't even there, right? So there must be some checklist as you, as you indicated uh, because we need to have some datum level uh, and then commit on the timelines. If the datum level is not known, for example, the data is by far the biggest challenge we face, right? If the data, quality data is not, I mean, fixing later, it never happened. It never ever happened. We saw signed off, we go live happened, but uh, when we went after a year, the data quality was the same as we left. So, so how, how do you uh, basically uh, you know, um, uh, align yourself to these kind of uh, timelines and all all these kinds of uh, demanding situations. So I, I think that's a, a, a very valid question. And it's how long is a piece of string for some things because people are in, 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 in different segments. But I, as I said, I, I, I give my answer to a software vendor's uh, lens, which is when the deal is signed to when it gets implemented. And that's what we do every day. So we're used to working out how we can get the product and value implemented as quickly as possible. Well, many people will be doing it once every 10 years or once every five years. But the, again, the work that's done up front 
to select the right the the, the right solutions, the right uh, vendor that's going to drive the value that your company wants is vitally important for the back end side of it to work well. But um, uh, there are definitely I mean, NetSuite has implementations that have taken 18 months. I'm, I'm not saying that doesn't happen. It does happen. I'm saying on average. It's under 100 days, and our philosophy is about doing that. And we do it all the time, so we're used to it. So we can add a lot of value there. But again, in this, you know, as part of the, the conference here, it's all about selection and managing that process. That being done professionally and being done well, and really thinking about the changes and how it's going to roll out in the phases, helps that process to take place uh, efficiently as well. So I mean, you're right. It's not, it's not an absolute fact that uh, uh, is going to be under 100 days. But that is what the, the, the aim of it is. And again, the people up here, we do this all the time. And we work with all sorts of companies to do it. So we know that the pitfalls and other things and, and can aid that process and make sure we're adding value each to that stage so you're going to be able to meet your objectives. All right, great stuff. Thank you, Kyler. Thank you to our guests uh, from the various vendors that were just on that discussion. Appreciate having you here today. And uh, we've got a lot more to unpack from that conversation. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more on Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 147. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. And Kyler, we just had this uh, great vendor panel discussion that we we played the clip we played for the audience here that you you moderated with the vendor uh, the vendor panelists. What were some of your thoughts from that uh, discussion? I mean, well, what an honor first of all to even have that amount of experience in the room, but be able to have um, that conversation and and just to kind of set the stage for these events. Sometimes it can be um, kind of awkward to have vendors in the room because we do have speakers. You know, a lot of times that are saying things about vendor biases. And that's the point, right? We want we want to give them the opportunity to react to that or to have, you know, a say in that conversation. And the reason that that level of executives came to the event was because they see the value in having a transparent conversation. And you'll see that in some of our audience questions um, that they asked as well. Um, so, it, it, I mean, it was it was a, an incredible opportunity to ask directly, you know, what should be my implementation timeline? What should I be asking in those questions about new trends or research and development? What does my vendor relationship look like? All of those are very critical questions. And you kind of heard from the top down of where they're going um, as as actual entities and systems and leadership alignment. So I think it was an amazing opportunity 
to really ask that. And I, I want to give our audience here an opportunity to ask questions as well. So if you do put your questions in the comments that you have for those specific stakeholders, I will tag them and their support team on here so that you're able to get those questions answered as well. And we're continued to have that diverse and transparent dialogue. But what an amazing opportunity to um, hear from them about kind of the future of their systems and really the customer centric, I think, approaches really got me, Eric. And I know that's, you know, an approach you preach and Third Stage is really built upon as a, a founding core principle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, we, we try to strike that balance between being completely tech agnostic and not having vendor influence. We certainly are not affiliated financially or any other way with, with software vendors, but also, you know, reaching out and trying to understand the vendors too. You know, you have to do both. You have to be unaffiliated, but obviously we have to play nice with, with software vendors. And that's why it's great to see this panel discussion and see at what great job you did facilitating that session or moderating the session. And, uh, you know, just hearing these different opinions that um, are coming from some of the thought leaders in the space too. So it was really interesting. A hundred percent and highly recommend that you follow um, who you've tagged in the description here and their teams to kind of stay up to date on that thought leadership. And of course, if you have questions about specific systems, you can either ask them here or um, on our YouTube channel as well. We have reviews of all of the systems in multiple formats um, that we featured there as well. Um, on on that panel so um thank you eric for all you know the great content inviting them you're really the reason that they showed up <laughs> right was because of your connection with them um and thank you to the vendors for all of the transparent conversation um if you want more have questions definitely leave those comments here and we'll collect them and, and connect you with the right people yeah sounds great well look forward to doing more of those discussions too and involving a ever increasingly diverse group of people in, in those discussions too. So that'll be great. Um, and thank you for moderating that. And thank you to the, uh, all the guests we had on the show here today. Really appreciate their involvement. And thank you most of all to the audience for uh, the great, um, not only the support of this podcast, but also asking great questions and having good engagement here. One thing you could do to help us is, is to share this podcast with others uh, in your network and in your uh, community. So we'd love to get the word out to more people. So appreciate anything you can do to help spread the word. So thank you for being here today. Love this episode. Love being with you guys and hope you have a great rest of your week. And we'll see you next week on the next episode of Transformation Ground Control. Have a great week and we'll see you soon. Down, 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 down.